0: to Ark Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 16, 1997.
1: From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening, or good morning, as the case may be, across all these many prolific time zones from the Hawaiian and Tahitian Islands in the west, eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America. We're going to be talking about South America and the Caribbean, north to the Pole, worldwide on the internet, this is Coast to Coast AM, good morning, I'm Art Bell, well it's good evening and good morning, anyway, hi there, we've got an interesting program coming up for you as we begin a brand new week, Scott Corrales is going to be my guest and I'm probably mispronouncing his last name and he sent me a a very nice uh, a bio and uh, I'm not going to read it. If I were to read this, I would destroy every Spanish name in it. Now, Scott is born of Cuban parents, I can tell you that. Lived in Mexico City from 1968 to 1975, and then moved to Puerto Rico in 1975, uh, remaining there until 1982. Scott is here to talk about a new book he has written called Chupacabras and Other Mysteries. Ah, the chupacabra. You know how I feel about the chupacabra? I I am intrigued. I have always wondered if if it really could be if this creature, this mystical question mark creature could really be out there. Chupacabra. The one thing I do know is it means goat sucker. Anyway, he's written a book about it, so he ought to be the god asked, ask, and that's exactly what we're going to do here in a few moments. And other mysteries as well. Let me get a couple of announcements out of the way and a couple of things, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk to Scott and we'll make him pronounce all the Spanish names in his bio here. All right, first of all, a big switch in San Diego. Big time switch. From KFMB back home to Kogo. AM 600 uh, in San Diego, K-O-G-O yes ladies and gentlemen we are back home Kogo will be carrying the program seven days a week seven days a week Sunday Dreamland will come to you ten to one in the beginning and no doubt we'll get that uh, uh, down to the uh, uh, six o'clock time eventually because everything has moved forward one hour But we are home, back at Kogo. It will take a few people in San Diego, a little while to realize that, but coming home. Now, um, welcome also to uh, KSPT in Sandpoint, Idaho, 1400 on the AM dial. Would like to uh, welcome you to the program. Great to have, uh, actually great to, to have both, and to be back on Kogo, of course, in San Diego. So there's going to be a little bit bit of dial whiplash going on down in the uh, southern part of California. But I presume people will adjust.
0: Streamlink. The audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think... As a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed in on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit Coast2CoastAM.com to sign up today. Stories on the radio must be coast to coast. AM with George Nori.
2: You know, when I started doing this radio program, Jesse, half of the subjects I was really into the paranormal, the unusual, ghosts, and things like that. Yeah. The conspiracy stories. You know, I was a little weary about these, other than the Kennedy assassination. And all of a sudden, I woke up. I simply woke up. Is that what happened with you two?
3: Yeah. That's when I really started to say, what is going on here? And I started to truly then investigate 9-11. And today, I don't believe the government story of 9-11. Here's the three options. Either we knew about it and allowed it to happen, or we knew about it and participated in it, or these were the dumbest buffoons that could have ever been in charge of our country who could have all this pre-information. And I started to think they knew it was going to happen, Happened, they either a part of it or they allowed it to. There's no well, doubt in my mind.
0: Now we take you back to the night of June 16, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Well, all right, Scott Corrales, uh, I can tell you, attended Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, I can tell you that he was an office research assistant, an executive aide, a personnel manager, an industrial engineer, Uh, but I'm not going to tell you much more um, because a lot of it gets into Spanish names, and I will embarrass myself, Scott. Welcome to the program.
4: Good evening, Art. How are you doing?
1: Um, I'm just fine. For you, it (laughs) should be morning. You're back somewhere in Pennsylvania, right, or New York?
5: That's correct. Bradford, PA.
1: Okay. Um, Scott... Uh, What led you into an interest uh, to our friend, the Chupacabra?
5: I
4: think I've always been interested in um, the paranormal manifestations associated with the UFO phenomenon. Uh, Since I read uh, John Keel's book, The Monkland Prophecies back in the mid-70s, when Chupacabras came around, or along, rather, it was... uh, just the culmination of a number of strange events taking place in Puerto Rico uh, for a number of years. The Chupacabras wave uh, matured in, in 1995, but if you go back to 1991, you were already getting some serious mutilations of uh, domestic
1: animals. All right. We were not hearing about it back then, were we?
4: No, you were not. Not, not at all. Uh, part of the problem is that this was simply uh, considered domestic consumption by the uh, by the island media uh, of course in 1989 you'd had the um, the infamous fanged bird or vampire bird known as the chota cabras which caused some confusion uh, and that was considered the source of many of the mutilations at the time
1: it's already confusing me in other words there was a bird that was thought to do these mutilations
4: yes indeed back in uh, 1989 this bird or rather number of very strange uh, fanged birds was found on the island Uh, these birds howled allegedly and they had reptilian characteristics and certainly they cause a great deal of confusion among the population
1: well is it not true that birds are thought to be uh, the modern ancestors of uh, dinosaurs
4: i believe i've heard that in national geographic somewhere Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) well i can tell you that some of the birds out here in the area where i live look absolutely prehistoric i mean they they look like throwbacks They're gigantic, and uh, when they want a movie with a really evil-looking bird, they come out here to Pahrump, Nevada, where I am, and they get them. They're gigantic, and they do look evil. Uh, At any rate, um, you said when you began commenting that you thought it was connected to the UFO phenomenon, or you suggested that it was connected to the UFO phenomenon. By that, I mean the chupacabra. But, in fact, you don't really think it's connected to UFOs, do you?
4: I've always felt that this is a, a strictly paranormal phenomenon in the same way that the Mothman was, that the lizard man in North Carolina, uh, it belongs to that order of, uh, of manifestations. But then again, I also believe that the UFO phenomenon, far from extraterrestrial, is also of paranormal origin.
1: Well, Mothman and the rest of them, I don't know about those so much uh, as I do the chupacabra. I do know this. I've watched um, Spanish TV... I know Linda, you must know Linda Howe.
4: I certainly do. I've had the pleasure.
1: All right. Um, Linda has been heavily investigating true copper now for some time. And it seems very real, Scott. Uh, I mean, there are hundreds of animals that have died that they have documented. I've seen them on uh, TV.
4: I think it's, it's most definitely real. Not only uh, the number of animals in five different countries, uh, that have been shown and researched and veterinarians have autopsied and
6: uh, the whole nine yards. Exactly.
4: You also have the fact that the uh, testimony is more often than not uh, unimpeachable. Simply these people have no idea why this has happened to them. Why their livelihoods have been affected in uh, in such a manner.
1: Well, when people hear, uh, hear about the Chupacabra, they chuckle and laugh. But in Mexico, for example, Uh, You don't get a lot of really good reactions when you talk about the chupacabra. In other words, they're not laughing in Mexico.
4: Precisely, nor were they laughing in Puerto Rico when things started there, nor were they laughing in December when the phenomenon moved on to Spain. Spain? Yes, indeed, Uh, in December 1996.
1: Spain? Yes, indeed, Spain and Portugal. And Portugal.
4: Uh, uh, Researcher Bruno Cardenosa. Looked into uh, not only the mutilation but disappearance, outright disappearance of entire flocks of sheep, um, in Zaragoza, I believe, and the chupacabras uh, was actually invoked by the authorities as uh, as the culprit.
1: It was it was noted as the culprit by the authorities. Yes,
4: they had or they had said, well, whatever is causing this cannot be uh, X, Y, or Z. They enumerated. Uh, the wildlife of Spain. Spain has no bears. Spain does not have any wolves anymore. So, the attacks seemed to match what was going on in the Caribbean and in Central America. And mm-hmm. they figured, well, this could be the chupacabra.
1: Well, do you believe the chupacabra began in Puerto Rico?
4: Uh, to all indications, yes. Uh, this would have been in March of 1995, uh, when a reporter for uh, the uh, WKAQ TV station mm-hmm. First uh, started to inform his uh, audience Of what was going on in Orokovis Which is a town, uh, a town municipality In the center of the island
7: mm-hmm. um,
4: A number of sheep had been found uh, Completely drained of blood uh, People were seeing strange entities running around Entities corresponding to what we've come to know As the, the grey aliens, quote-unquote um, Well, here we go UFO connection. Exactly. That's where you start getting this, this gray area, um, no pun intended, uh, involving strange creatures, uh, manifestations of uh, earlier aberrant beings that were never seen again during the Chupacabras a tree-dwelling uh, grays, for lack of a better description.
8: Tree-dwelling graves. Tree-dwelling grays grays.
4: That, could, that emitted the sibilant sounds and could mesmerize people.
1: Let us tell everybody what we believe a chupacabra looks like, uh, based on a compilation of the descriptions or any photographs that exist. Oh, by the way, Scott, are there any what you would consider legitimate photographs of the chupacabra?
5: Not known to me. I don't
1: think
4: there's been a single photo. However, I think the chupacabras has attracted uh, a cottage industry of its own in um, in hoax photographs.
1: Oh, I have uh, any number of photographs on my website, and I treasure each and every one of them in their own way. <laughs> but there is none that I would say, there it is. That's absolutely Chupacabra.
4: No, I feel that the best indication we have to go as to its image remains the identical image put together by researcher Jorge Martin uh, back
1: in 95, based on right. eyewitness testimony. What do we think, if there was a Chupacabra standing right in front of me, what would I be seeing?
4: Uh, if what you saw match a description given by all the other witnesses Exactly You'd see a creature with a kangaroo-like body uh, A humanoid head with uh, wrap-around red eyes mm. Would appear to be very small quills uh, Vibrating quills running down its back mm-hmm. uh, Very scrawny, almost useless uh, forearms and certainly a membrane under its arms that enables it to fly. However, before we start saying that it flies like a bird, uh, let's clarify that by saying that it, it has been seen to float in the air and take off.
1: To float? Well, not to float.
4: That's not flying. Not flying, but nonetheless people say it has wings, quote-unquote. It has a membrane under its arms. People have seen it float. They've seen it float across highways. They have seen it float into uh, pens to extract animals. Uh, But nonetheless, I think people like to think, well, if it has wings, it's fine. Therefore, flight comes into question.
9: Well, but
1: floating is paranormal. Things don't float. They don't suspend in the air without apparent uh, means of aerodynamic...
4: I agree with you. It's just that flight has become the, um, I guess, a commonplace term to describe its motion in the air. Uh, People think, well, if it's in the air, it's flying. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you get so many descriptions. Uh, it flew here, it flew there, it flew over us, it landed in my backyard, and so forth.
1: But they don't note it flapping its wings. It has never
4: been seen flapping its wings.
1: Uh-huh. Certainly,
4: if it had wings, uh, they could not sustain its weight. Uh, so whatever mechanism it's using to uh, levitate, uh, for want of a better term, uh, has nothing to do with the little membranes under its
1: arms. All right. What about its basic... Well, teeth, fangs? Uh, The original drawing showed it as
4: not having fangs. Then other witnesses said, yes, it has fangs, uh, protruding fangs. And its most distinctive feature, uh, what appears to be a proboscis of some sort, that comes out of its mouth and is suspected to uh, be the uh, instrument used to puncture the the animals which are later
7: exsanguinated.
1: Well, now we get into what I consider to be pretty serious stuff. In other words, these animals, I've heard various descriptions of how they've been killed, but basically it comes down to this. They have puncture wounds in their neck. Um, Outside, somehow, there's more. I, I can't remember. Linda said there were two puncture wounds, I believe, on the outside, and then some other kind of puncture wound on the inside. Is that sure. correct?
4: If I recall correctly, the, um, you can, uh, the if, if you look at these, the photos of the, uh, of the of the victims, you can see that one single puncture mark,
7: one and
4: single. the instrument, whatever you want to call this, proboscis, seems to have gone straight in through the organs, and sometimes piercing the organs, sometimes pushing them aside uh. as it tried to uh, to drain blood. In many cases, we now hear that uh, the creature has. Left its victims perfectly hollow. Hollow. That is, it's taking organs as well. It, How this can oh, be accomplished is rather. is truly beyond the understanding of, um, of of zoology. Certainly, there's no natural creature capable of doing these things. Um,
1: and yet, in fact, the autopsies have shown this to be the case. Is that that's, correct? That's correct. Yes. In other words, that, that that's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. In other words. It literally sucks everything from its victim, as one would somehow suck an egg from a little tiny hole.
4: That's a pretty good uh, description, yeah. Uh,
1: yuck. <laughs> um, how many animals, um, Scott, have been so affected? Um, if you were to, you know, put together a compilation of um, everything from uh, well, the, the whole time.
4: I think the uh, the range of creatures has run the gamut from uh, racehorses in one incident. To uh, household cats and dogs, and if we tried to find a total for Puerto Rico, at least you'd have well over a thousand animals.
1: A thousand animals.
4: For Mexico, I'm not quite sure, nor for Central America.
1: Okay. In
4: Spain, they number in the hundreds.
1: In the hundreds,
4: hundreds of sheep yes.
1: Now, surely the veterinarians who do the autopsies have got to say something. I mean, they come back and all, either all of the blood or all of the internal organs of these animals are missing. What do they say?
4: Well, I think that the uh, Department of Agriculture in Puerto Rico was steadfast in saying that this is just predator damage. These are either dogs or feral monkeys causing this kind of damage. Uh, Flying in the face of of the evidence, of course.
1: Has anybody ever seen a feral monkey
4: do this? Uh, Apparently there have been uh, troops of uh, feral monkeys in Puerto Rico since... A certain laboratory uh, conducting experiments uh, shut down or released a certain number of them into wilderness, and they have apparently managed to coexist with um, with uh,
1: the local uh, wildlife. Yes, and, but would uh, they have the ability, physical ability, to do to these animals what has been done? No, no.
4: Nor certainly would uh, would wild dogs. However, I think it's the most convenient explanation, and <sighs> it's the explanation that seemed to satisfy. Uh, the endless, you know, filling a bureaucratic report. Well, it so doesn't the... satisfy
1: me. I'm not a scientist, uh, Scott. But if something has been done like the removal of all internal organs or all blood, as far as I knew, Scott, the only thing th- that would um, uh, take blood would be a bat. Now, they've got vampire bats. They're real. But they bite their victim, and then they lap up the blood. They don't suck all the blood out.
4: That's correct, and that also brings us to another interesting uh, feature of Chupacabras. Uh, many times it would leave a very thick lather on its victims, uh, even though it probably had not quite gotten a chance to uh, to drain the blood quite yet. A lather. A lather, yes, a very thick, uh, viscous substance, which had many people thinking, well, yes, this probably some sort of giant vampire bat that's come from South America. And, of course, you had a lot of uh, the... Uh, the peasantry speculating as well, yes, well, we get a lot of strange things coming from Venezuela, things coming cargo ships, etc So I think throughout your deal, you have the average person is trying to
1: find a quote-unquote rational explanation. For yes, oh, well, maybe there is not one. Scott, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to our Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 16th. 1997. They call
10: me In the voice they, say, a they all want me, they can't have me, but they all come and fancy. Move with me, come with me, and if you i me i tu cuerpo you put it on alegría y buena. tu cuerpo alegría Magdalena, Magdalena alegría Magdalena, Cosa buena, i hey, hey, no, I'm a boy the boy in I don't want him
0: Mark bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks tonight an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven.
1: Could there be a creature out there capable of doing what the chupacabra is said to have done? Is it paranormal? Is it a throwback? Is it something from ancient uh, ancient days when dinosaurs roamed the earth? Or is it something brand new? Or is it something from a lab somewhere? We'll talk about all these possibilities and uh, continue to tell you about this horrid little creature called the Chikabra in a moment.
0: Coaster, Coaster. Coast am is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users specifically for the iphone and android platforms now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion and if you're a coast insider you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows no special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site simply visit coast on your iphone or android browser now, we take you back to the night of June 16th, 1997, on Ark Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Back now to Scott Corrales, his book, soon to come out. Not out, by the way, Chupacabras and Other Mysteries. When will your book be available, incidentally?
5: Uh,
4: July 4th. July 4th that's correct that's patriotic date
1: it certainly is um, is it going to be available uh, generally um, in bookstores or will it be a number to call or what
4: it will be available in bookstores
1: alright um, back to the chupacabra you have described this animal what about the claws it's got it said three three claws is that correct
4: uh, that's correct They're rather, no one's ever seen it uh, using them for any purpose uh, it, it, apparently, it's, it's, its modus operandi for attacking animals is heavily based on mesmerizing them and then proceeding to use this, um, this proboscis that it has, which in fact uh, gave the Chupacabras the name Sacalenguas, or tongue sticker outer, in Central <laughs> America. <laughs> because that's exactly yes. what, uh, what, I guess, caught people's attention the most.
1: Uh, yes, well, that's when you begin losing your organs and your blood, so it would get your attention. Uh, has this animal, Scott, attacked any humans?
4: You know, The very first uh, reported human attack was in May of '96. Uh, the victim was a woman named uh, Theodora Ayala in Mexico. Uh, but otherwise, there have been no attacks on humans. Uh, people claim to have been pursued by the Chupacabras, as in the case of two fishermen in Canovanas. Uh, Puerto Rico, but uh, fortunately, it's never demonstrated an interest in humans. It seems mm-hmm. to concentrate on um, on animals, which, uh, curiously enough, and if you can, allow you know, a little bit of levity into the matter, uh, was explained by a um, a psychic who uh, invited himself into uh, Tupacabra's research, uh, saying that human blood has had too m- too many toxins in it.
7: A <laughs> chupacabra
4: preferred something less polluted.
1: ha, <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Great. You know, it sounds too, it sounds real. I'm afraid. Uh, 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 no doubt, we have toxins that would kill the little beastie. <laughs> um, the other worrisome thing that I've heard about a chupacabra is its ability to go. Some people have said 50, 60 miles per hour. Is there anything to that?
4: Uh, that's the first time I've heard. Ah. Certainly, I've never heard that it had a, an endurance record or a speed record either. Uh, most of the cases that, uh, that I've read about, the cases that I had the pleasure of, of assisting Jorge Martin with when I was in Puerto Rico, uh, seemed to just involve the creature appeared, uh, was either heard in the night, uh, emitting these horrifying screams. screams, but no one ever saw it actually committing the crimes until much later. Uh, a gentleman named uh, Daniel Santos saw it landing in its backyard. It simply came out of the sky, making a buzzing sound, rested on top of a boulder for a while before taking off again. Mm-hmm. But uh, no one ever clocked it as it was flying by or anything like
1: that. There are people who claim they have seen it scurrying uh, across the road or by the road. Many human sightings.
4: That is very correct. I think the very first sighting of that sort was in Canovanas, um, where some people were waiting for the bus at, uh, in the early afternoon, and they thought they saw a dog running toward them on all fours. And it happened to be the Chupacabra. Um, people had seen it scurrying across Highway 3 in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. uh, both daytime and at night. And I believe the same applies in uh, Mexico. People have actually seen it uh, engaging in, you know, chicken crossing the road kind of behavior.
7: Mm-hmm. However,
4: at this point, I just want, I just want to add... Uh, the variety of sightings in Mexico, uh, was, became wildly different from, uh, the sightings in Puerto Rico at one point, where you actually had federales and, uh, municipal policemen. Right. Taking pot shots at a gigantic winged, uh, humanoid creature, something like a Bigfoot with wings almost. And this creature was jumping fences and eluding the police. So we were getting a variety of, 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 um, of different entities being seen in Mexico at, at, at some point, hmm. and even a bona fide uh, vampire bat called the uh, Vampiro Spectre, which apparently has a tremendous wingspan, was also being seen in southern Mexico at the time. Hmm. So, whereas the Puerto Rican situation was rather controlled, you had the one perpetrator to deal with. Mexico was a free fire area.
1: I take it you saw Jurassic Park.
4: I certainly have, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I I happen to know for a fact that uh, our government, governments in general, have been experimenting with some rather unsavory things. Um, What possibility is there that these animals, these aberrations, are out of a laboratory somewhere, rejects in some sort of perverted genetic research?
4: Well, we could start by saying that the island of Puerto Rico has always been used for um, all kinds of research. Right. Radiation, uh, thalidomide, all kinds of nasty things have been tested there.
7: Mm-hmm. So it would not
4: be surprising, given the uh, track record, that uh, such a thing could be produced there, although to what purpose uh, remains a big question. Uh, what would anyone gain?
1: Well, what do we gain by cloning, Scott?
4: Well, I guess cloning, you know, to uh, digress here, would be uh, probably a good way of someday uh, being able to clone certain organs to reproduce uh, organs for people who need transplants, etc. Mm. However, uh, there has been talk, and certainly uh, the book Chupacabras does mention this, a gentleman who claimed to have seen chupacabras in Arizona or New Mexico That's
1: in the right. 1950s. Yeah. Or oh, in the
4: fifties? Fifties, that's correct. In the fifties. In the fifties, the gentleman uh, claims that he was a military policeman, and that these creatures had actually been uh, part of the quote-unquote cargo manifest of a crashed uh, UFO, and.
1: Mm-hmm. So here we go again. Now, you're 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 kind of jumping around here with regard to the UFO connection. Um, do I'm trying to avoid it as much as possible. Well, on coming up. well um, is there a connection? I mean, what chance is there? You're leaning against it, but you kind of keep coming back to it.
4: Okay, Dr. Rafael Lara, who's, I think, uh, one of Mexico's foremost investigators in the Chupacabra subject, uh, clearly said that at no point during the Chupacabra sightings in his country was there a single UFO sighting uh, and happening anywhere near where the events were taking place.
1: Well, on the other well, hand, then, if a UFO uh, dis- dispensed or disgorged some, it may well be they began to mate and move. So
4: That's also very possible. However, in Puerto Rico, we do get cases of UFO activity and Chupacabra's presence. But just to go back to the, uh, to the gentleman in, uh, with the story about New Mexico, uh, or Arizona, for, for a minute, uh, he said the creatures developed a taste for blood Mm-hmm. And for sheep, after being fed, um, these animals, uh, I guess they were in some sort of reservation up there where sheep were being raised or, or what have you. And this is a case of developers of one animal they seem to be uh, able to, to consume without any problem. Mm-hmm. And it was a breeding pair, according to, uh, his testimony.
1: Well, again, I go back to the hard evidence. Hundreds, if not thousands, of animals with either their blood or all their organs gone. Is it not incumbent on those veterinarians that have done the autopsies to not put it off on dogs or some other thing because these animals could not do what is being done?
4: Well, I'd just like to clarify that perhaps by saying you have any kind of state-sponsored veterinarian was... I guess hedging his bets by using the uh, the ape and dog uh, explanation, but you had medical photographers from the College of Medicine in Puerto Rico uh, coming out and saying this is impossible. Right, uh, right. To not have a, a two-ton bull uh, having all its blood, its liver, its heart extracted. Right. Through a single orifice.
1: Exactly. In I other don't. words, here we've got our government saying UFOs are swamp gas, or flares or one thing or another and we can argue about it till the cows come home pun intended if or <laughs> exactly um, or not uh, that's fine uh, flares over Phoenix whatever but here we've got animals with wounds and um, autopsies performed showing things that are absolutely impossible uh, with any terrestrial explanation
4: However, I think there's also the uh, the concern: will this information uh, cause a panic? And in Puerto Rico, I think that the information was terrifying to the farmers, but to city dwellers who uh, never go to the countryside except on you know on a holiday, uh, it was simply in yet another story uh, to make fun of. And this is where the sociological phenomenon kicked off of Chupacabra's t-shirts and Chupacabra's songs, like the one you just played. Mm-hmm. And uh, it became simply a, a, a term of abuse and also a term of endearment on television shows. <laughs> so uh, city dwellers who'd never had direct experience or uh, watched beloved pets or uh, you know, needed animals uh, die a you know, horrible death uh, could make light of it. And I think that's the case with all city dwellers.
1: Well, you know, I guess you could suggest when you watch a lion tear its prey apart. It's a horrible death. So in a way, if there is a chupacabra preying on animals, mainly, out there, how does it really differ from a lion that rips its prey apart? I mean, it, it, other than the fact that this obviously is a big mystery, it may be the paranormal, it may be UFOs or whatever, but it's still one animal killing another.
4: It seems to me that, that I'll just speak for, the, for the, uh, the Puerto Rican reaction for a minute. This had happened before. People had been there, (laughs) quote-unquote, before, uh, in the 1970s with the uh, mocha vampire, as it became known. What was that? It was a creature, was never seen. Uh, No drawings were made, no photos were taken. But it, for an entire year, from 1974 to 75, it killed almost as many animals as the chupacabras. It had the same uh, paranormal look and feel to it and it later moved its activities to Santo Domingo uh, where it was also uh, created. You know, great consternation among the peasantry uh,
1: well anything we don't understand we are like uh, likely to ascribe to the paranormal I mean to us it's magic right we don't understand it no science explains it so we either write it off and lie uh, in reports or um... Well, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, first of all, you do believe they're real, don't you? In other yes, words... I do. Okay. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. No doubt. Uh, but you lean toward the paranormal explanation.
4: Yes, indeed. Simply because of the way that the creature, uh, as with other paranormal manifestations, like the, the, the mocha vampire just mentioned, right. they seem to run a course of 12 months to 18 months. They appear, they kill animals, they create a sensation, then the sightings either end abruptly, or they peter out before being both ignored by the media and ignored by the uh, by the peasantry after a hmm. while hmm. and this is exactly what happened to uh, West Virginia's mothman back in the sixties. It uh, appeared for exactly thirteen months before disappearing, it was never seen again in the area
1: so um, then, uh might these creatures be uh, here is another explanation dimensional, dimensional
4: well I think the dimensional uh, explanation would dovetail quite neatly with the paranormal because it would, it would be coming in from another dimension, another level of energy, another reality, whatever you know term we want to give it, as opposed to being dropped here from um, another star system or being part of a cargo manifest of uh, some downed UFO
1: well think about this then if it goes one way, maybe it goes the other, and maybe on the other side these Horrible creatures called dogs, from time to time, pop in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and cats. Oh my God, cats! I <laughs> hate that.
4: I'd, I'd hate to be on the other side to see them. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, there cool. you are. In other words, things they have never seen on the other side.
4: But then again, if you want to add the third explanation, which seems to race out people's tackles, is simply black magic. Uh, remember, uh, sorcery is heavily practiced in the area. And as we we have come to know, uh, certain ceremonies appear to be very effective in uh, producing what are known as elementals or simply summonings.
1: Well, let me tell you something. This last weekend, nobody knows it, but I was in Mexico. Aha, how about that, folks? And we went into what we thought was a natural food store, and there was an altar there, Scott, Uh, Clearly, it was some sort of witchcraft that was being practiced. I did not stop. I did not ask. In fact, I got out of there rather quickly. That was prudent, yes. One portion of the store was devoted to some kind of an altar with some sort of a being or creature that was obviously being worshipped at the center. Uh, Do you have any idea what I might have seen?
4: No, that sounds, and I'm just taking a stab in the dark... Oh, uh, that sounds like a, a very uh, benign Santeria um, altar.
1: Santeria, that, huh? Yes. Well, what was uh, what was in the center of this altar did not look benign.
4: Mm, that I wouldn't know. That uh-huh. I wouldn't speculate. But, yes, we, there are darker manifestations of Santeria, and they are practiced in the Caribbean, and certainly in Puerto Rico is no exception.
1: Do you believe in magic?
4: I've seen rituals perform and... Uh, I've, I'm afraid that there's something to it.
1: Uh-huh. Aha! Uh, give me an example of something you have seen.
4: I've simply seen the effect it's had on people present at ceremonies who had no connection whatsoever to uh, this kind of worship. Uh, I've seen people who are skeptical, uh, and let's say detached observers, uh, fall under the influence of say, the rhythmical uh, drum beating and uh, so forth in a Santeria ceremony.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: And it leads them to believe, you know, I've, uh, having been there, having not fallen under the spell <laughs> of whatever was going on, that certain people either are quite susceptible to any kind of manipulation or that something was actually happening there.
1: Well, could it be that one of these ceremonies could bring some sort of elemental creature from there, wherever there is, to here?
4: That is certainly a possibility. The more we learn about the ritual magic and what it's designed to accomplish. Uh, certainly, that's one of the possibilities. However, I, I bring this up last, always, because of the reaction it has um, on most people. People don't mind hearing about
7: mm-hmm. uh,
4: government experiments or uh, you know, genetic freaks run amok or UFOs dropping things off in the, in the countryside. But when it comes to the role of ritual magic in these things, people say, no, wait a minute, we've already gone beyond the fringe. Well... Now uh, we're... Uh,
1: I don't feel that way. I think it's entirely possible. Let me tell you something. There was a CNN USA uh, poll done over the weekend, and 64%, I believe, of the American people say aliens have, in fact, in their opinion, contacted humans. Get this now. 80% of all Americans say they believe the U.S. government is hiding information on alien contact. That's Eight out of ten. I'm not surprised. Not at all. You're not?
4: No. Cool. Uh, either it doesn't matter. It, this is just and I have a purely personal opinion. Uh, whether their perceptions are um, are warranted or not, I think the media has played a f- crucial role in shaping uh, this opinion. Simply, you know, our programs like the X Files and what have you. Uh, the government is up to tricks. Uh, things are being kept from us. And this is actually the viewpoint.
1: So you think it's Hollywood that has formed this?
4: To a certain extent, uh, the public reaction, yes. It does not detract from the phenomenon being real, however.
1: Well, as we get reports of uh, microbial life in rocks from Mars, the likelihood of um, uh, one of Jupiter's moons harboring life under what we now know to be or th- think to be a sea, Water on the Moon, all these other announcements. It's it's no wonder that people think they're being conditioned. I'm not so sure they're not. Stand by. We'll be right back to you.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 16, 1997. Thank Presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired June 16, 1997.
1: Scott Corrales is my guest. He knows about the Chupacabra and other mysteries. That is the title of his book, and we're going to talk to him a little more about the Chupacabra here in a moment.
0: The audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price. The package includes podcasting, which automatically downloads shows for you, and the iPhone app. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. That's over a 1,000 shows for you to collect and enjoy. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up. Open up your third eye with Coast to Coast AM and George Norrie.
2: I am now convinced that people who listen to this program have an even higher IQ. They truly want knowledge because they are different than most people.
11: And they are the people that have left themselves open. They don't put blinkers on. They are looking for information, and this is where they find it. So once again, I've got to compliment you for bringing this kind of programming to the masses, and that's a beautiful thing.
0: Now we take you back to the night of June 16, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Is there a creature, a winged creature, capable of attacking animals, and we do have hundreds, if not thousands, of bodies Of animals with, get this, not just the blood, but in many cases, all the internal organs sort of sucked out of them through a little hole uh, in their neck. That is what uh, the chupacabra is said to be able to do. My guest is Scott Corrales. He wrote a book called Chupacabras and Other Mysteries. And, uh, Scott, are you there? I certainly am. All right. Um, Has anybody ever recorded the sound of a chupacabra?
4: Not to the best of my knowledge, uh, but I understand that it's supposed to be an absolutely positively blood-curdling sound.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I have what is considered to be, by most of the people in the field, the legitimate recorded sound of a Bigfoot. And I'm going to play that for you right now. Listen carefully to this, because, you know, it is a sound... It could be a Chupacabra. It could be a Bigfoot. It could be a Chupacabra. It could be they're from the same family. Anyway, here it is. Well, there it is. You wouldn't want to meet that in the middle of the night, in the middle of the forest. No way. Certainly not. <laughs> uh, now, that's a pretty horrible sound. Is that what people describe?
4: Uh, I would say that's pretty blood-curdling and awful to me, so I think it could be close. However, you now mentioned Bigfoot. There have been Bigfoot sightings in Puerto Rico as well. Uh-huh. And certainly, uh, toward the, at the height of the Chupacabra sightings, there was also a Bigfoot sighting. Um, attack on a human, or rather a uh, sort of a tussle.
1: But well, see, here we are again. Now, the Bigfoot is variously said to be also um, something related to UFOs. Bigfoot is uh, considered by many to be, in effect, a missing link, surviving as best it can. But, you know, it has the same qualities as a chupacabra in that it will disappear. Just psh, gone.
4: Absolutely. And certainly, out here in Pennsylvania, we have our own bigfoot sightings, and that sound has certainly that uh, you play certainly a mainstay of many uh bigfoot uh, conventions and conferences out here and it has the same qualities it disappears, it appears not to uh behave as animals are supposed to behave and I think most researchers uh are in agreement that yes the um Pennsylvania bigfoot or the uh, East Coast Bigfoot, if you will uh is definitely not a physical creature.
1: Not a physical, not a physical creature.
4: creature. No, not, not 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 at all.
1: Um so again then, uh the paranormal or UFOs.
4: But in Puerto Rico you have your uh, it has the almost unpronounceable uh, name of Comecogollos, uh, which means the eater of uh, soft banana plants. I was seen back in the, in the 80s and then seen again on and off and it appears to be only interested in uh in India, to the pursuance of little vegetarian habits. It's never really gone around killing any animals.
1: Vegetarians they are fine.
4: <laughs> but people have uh have seen it. Uh there there have been photos taken of it. And uh of course it belongs to the uh the blurry quality photo uh category.
1: Well, you know. <laughs> I still think uh, these things might, might have come out of labs somewhere. I've got this horrible feeling. I mean, I just know, Scott, I know, for example, right now in the Bahamas, despite what our president has said, there is a company that for $200,000 will clone a human being. Now, if they're doing that, imagine the experimentation that must have been going on privately in labs and by governments in places like Puerto Rico.
4: Well, I concur wholeheartedly there. Particularly, I think we were, uh, we were informed by television a couple of years ago to just the extent that genetic research had uh, finally achieved. I remember people being uh, completely shaken by a photo in Time magazine of a mouse with a human ear growing out of its back.
1: I didn't like I've got that photograph, and I try not to look at it.
4: <laughs> and this also dovetails with uh, an article in uh, the Russian magazine, Ora Z, uh, concerning the research of Dr. Xian Kanchen. i am just mutated his name right there. And he apparently could, by radiation, superimpose chromosomes on different animals. So he was creating a half-rabbit, half-duck creatures.
1: Uh, see, there we go. Now, and no is...
4: photographs of these creatures are available.
1: Yeah. Isn't it logical, then, that something would have been created in a lab someplace, and um, much like in Jurassic Park, one or two get loose, and that's all it takes.
4: It's certainly um, one of the theories. I don't think we should dismiss it out of hand. Uh, and certainly, if, let's say, a breeding pair managed to make it into the wilderness, uh, the powers that be would be very interested in finding out uh, you know, how they're making out and uh, what it, its spouts it, are having on the population.
1: Tell me, is the cover gone now? Um, are we getting any fresh reports, or is the creature gone? The creature went into abeyance
4: uh, after January of 96. It then staged a resurgence in the spring and uh, Hmm. began mutilating animals and uh, left a strong smell of sulfur wherever it went.
7: Sulfur.
4: To the point of nauseating uh, media photographers and policemen, civil defense workers. Then it sort of just petered out. And uh, researcher Willy Duran, who's down in Puerto Rico,
7: mm-hmm. tells
4: me that, yes, they keep on getting cases, the mutilations are still happening, but the creature has not been seen again. Hmm. Just its handiwork.
9: What does that suggest?
4: Uh, to my mind, as I said, we go right back to the paranormal thing. These creatures tend to just uh, either stop abruptly or peter out after a while. Um... Or perhaps just reduce their level of activity to um, a maintenance level, in which a number of animals are killed here and there. Little calling cards are left. If you recall when we started the show, I was telling you back in 1991, you already had reports of, let's say, a dozen goats being killed, 50 rabbits here, 50 ducks there. Right. And yet it never uh, transcended to anything greater than that, until 1995. So perhaps there's always a low level of... Uh, animal mutilations going on and that it simply reverted to this uh... uh... Like, what, what would you call it uh...
1: it's not unreasonable because scott have you followed the way the ebola virus operates it, con- uh, it, it it suddenly uh... emerges good word and kills a town a city an area and then dies off not to be heard from again until the next outbreak uh, kind of weird, huh?
4: It certainly is. It also has apparently a little refractory period of
12: its own.
1: Exactly. Uh, and one can only imagine that it sits there and it waits for some contact uh, uh, by humans, or um, it becomes active in its own way at a certain point. We have no way of knowing about Ebola and why it comes and why it goes any more than we do the chupacabra.
4: And I think you can also—it uh, it does point to the cyclical nature. I said we go back to the Mocha Vampire, uh, how it appeared, how then it disappeared. Uh, we have Chupacabras now in the mid '90s. Perhaps in the um, 2016s or thereabouts, we're going to get another major outbreak of sightings, if it does seem to follow uh, this pattern. It certainly, certainly uh, animal mutilations at large I know that Linda Howe has written about this at length
7: mm-hmm. uh,
4: do follow a cyclical pattern over the decades uh, outbursts throughout the world repeating themselves in different countries as if following a rotation of some
1: sort well um, there is Santeria now uh, a lot of people say you can attribute these mutilations to devil worship of one sort or another um, what do you say?
4: I say we cannot discount that possibility at all. Uh, Certainly I know that one of the big concerns in uh, Mexico, at least this concern was voiced by the director of the Chapultepec Zoo in Mexico City, was not as much that the Chupacabras uh, itself would attack their animals, but that certainly uh, ritual worshippers would try to uh, perform similar uh, rites on zoo animals. And the zoo director pointed to a biblical passage in which a certain instrument is used, which produces a a wound that could be quite similar to what Chupacabras does. Uh, I can't recall exactly what her words were, but uh, they were to that effect.
1: Well, so that is possible. In other words, there is um, a scientific way to do what this animal is said to do.
4: There certainly is. As uh, I said, if we want... As I said, we cannot at this point. I don't think it's... Uh, the help, Well, the healthiest thing to do is just consider every single alternative that's being uh, postulated without subscribing to any particular one because we may be wrong in the end, uh, you, logically.
1: you remember you were joking a little while ago about the chupacabra not going after human beings because our blood, blood might be too
6: toxic for them? That's correct, yes.
1: Um, is it not also possible that that same... Um, toxic level might be producing these aberrations? Well,
4: uh, if we're going to move into the uh, the realm of toxins, then we should also talk about radiation. Sure. Uh, the Chupacabras has left a uh, considerable uh, radiation
1: signature uh-huh.
4: in Puerto Rico and in Guatemala.
1: Now, first time I've heard this.
4: Well, this is, I guess, uh, some information that I just acquired in the uh, in recent months, uh, apparently, back in '95 during the uh, Orokovi stage of Chupacabra's activity, civil defense workers were finding readings in excess of uh, background radiation, which I believe is 10 rads or 10 millirads. I'm not exactly uh, sure of the measurement, and uh, it was enough to prompt civil defense workers to say, "Let's get out of here. S- the situation is getting oh, ugly." Really? However, uh, they were quite remiss in not telling the farmers, you know, do not approach this animal, it's radioactive. Or it has been irradiated in uh, some way, shape, or form. Now, oh, Dr. Right. Oscar Padilla in Guatemala, uh, his research also turned up this radiation signature as left behind by this creature. And if we want to um, invoke, I guess, the paranormal again, or the interdimensional theory, rather, you have uh, a theory posited by John Keel in 1978, in his book, The Eighth Tower, uh, in which he says that these manifestations perhaps require a heavier element when they manifest in our dimension, and they choose a a dense radioactive material, perhaps even plutonium, and as they break down from being in our own reality, they disintegrate and eventually do disappear, but they leave a considerable amount of radiation uh, as they move along. Certainly, uh, one of the main complaints voiced by stateside uh, researchers was a lack of strong scientific uh, information. Let's say radiation readings, soil samples, blood samples, hair samples. And now we're getting um, information that, yes, indeed, there were Geiger counter readings. Yes, indeed, there were soil samples.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: Yes, you had people in Central America also conducting these things. But due to the fact that Latin America has gotten this... Um, terrible rap as uh, the place where people have heads going up from under their arms over the years anything coming from uh, south of the border seems to be um, cast aside ridiculed or just plain ignored
1: um... there was a period of time though when people here stopped laughing at least in the southwest because we began to experience mutilations that in fact had sightings of the chupacabra ourselves some in california new mexico arizona these areas and so the laughter quieted down for quite a while people didn't know what to make of it uh... but then that abated well that's certainly uh... the healthy
4: response i think once people have uh been subjected to the phenomenon or know people who've uh, suffered losses on the account of it or may have had, even had sightings
1: Americans really don't know the truth of the matter is that when you go down into Mexico um, the Chupacabra is not at all not at all treated the way it is here uh, we laugh we joke we make songs like the one I played um, we make t-shirts and all the rest of it and for that matter some of that may be going on in Mexico but the average Mexican is not humored at all by these stories are they
4: no simply because of the the the, uh, the, uh, the periodicity of these things these things have happened before they've always happened uh, certainly have a country like mexico has had this centuries-old tradition about the uh, shapeshifters uh, uh,
1: elementals
4: elementals the naguales as they're uh, they're, they are called and this is not a laughing matter people have always feared the village sorcerer the village witch Mm-hmm. the person who can, uh, quote-unquote, shed their skin and assume an animal form. Uh, so we, we can dismiss these things as, as folklore or uh, just something for the anthropologist to um, write his Ph.D. <laughs> dissertation on. Mm. But this is something that people have always considered part and parcel of the reality. And in fact, uh, this is something that Spanish investigator Salvador Cliccedo, has uh, said for years. We had so many words in the vocabulary of every single country for elves, fairies, pixies, vampires, etc. so many words for creatures that ostensibly do not exist in every single language that it does make one wonder uh, why we have all these words for uh, things that are often dismissed as uh, childish or just being uh, the product of fantasy or what have you. Um.
1: I remember when I was a kid, I thought there was a monster in the closet, and I still keep my closet door closed at night before I go to sleep because of that, Scott. Dumb, huh? (laughs) That's a, a carryover from childhood. I still don't like open closets because I know there are things in there. And so one other possibility that I've always wondered about is the monster from the id. In other words, the possibility that we create our own monsters, or that it is possible. We, you know, we, we know so little about the human brain. It is so powerful; it can do so many things that we don't know about. That is it not possible that in effect we create them ourselves?
4: No, that that's probably the most fascinating aspect of the phenomenon. Uh, are we developing, let's say, the ability that the Tibetan monks allegedly have, of creating tulpas, thought forms? Yes, which are quite solid and can respond, they can interact with uh, with physical creatures and leave an impression on the physical world around them. Exactly. Ah, uh, that is a fascinating possibility. However, you can't tell a farmer that uh, an archetype or a creature from the id just uh, punched a hole in one of his animals. So, uh, it's it, that's a that's a very uh, hard one to uh, to get people to uh, to accept or even consider. But it's truly fascinating. Uh, if as a society we're now creating our own very much like uh, and I hate to invoke science fiction but the classic film Forbidden Planet where a machine for generating creatures of the id was uh, part of the plot of the movie
1: well as I recall the machine supplied the nearly endless amount of power uh, that allowed the creation and maintenance of this creature but it only supplied the power it was the evil mind you recall of, of the man who lived on the planet uh who was in effect creating this uh, horrid monster
4: exactly exactly as i said this is we cannot rule any possibility out at the moment uh, no matter how how enticing some of these theories might seem we should just keep an open mind
1: All right. Well, what I'm going to do is open some phone lines and let people ask you questions. How about that? Very good. I'd be delighted. All right, good. That's coming up next. Now, as you may have noted, we began early tonight, as we will every night from now on, at 10 o'clock Pacific, 1 a.m. Eastern. Scott Corrales is my guest. His book is Chupacabras and Other Mysteries. And indeed, mysteries they are. If you have questions, we're going to open the lines
0: coming next. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 16th, 1997.
10: i got a black magic woman got me so blind I can't see. That she's a black magic woman, she's trying to make a devil from me. Turn your back on the baby.
0: bell somewhere in time tonight featuring a replay of coast-to-coast a.m. from June 16th 1997
1: my guest is Scott Corrales he's talking about the chupacabra not many people do publicly he's talking about that and other mysteries that would be the title of his book coming out shortly we'll get to him and your questions about these strange creatures not limited to the chupacabra by any means in a moment
0: Listening to Ark Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 16th, 1997.
1: All right, here we go. My guest is Scott Corrales. We're talking about the Chupacabra. Very, very ugly creature indeed, and other similar mysteries. And as we go back to him and your calls in a second, I got this fax from Randy. Uh, Art, what is going on? There have been five tornadoes in Oklahoma City, winds to 75 miles an hour here in Arkansas, and two more tornadoes in Texas. The weather is not the same anymore. Well, of course, uh, Randy, I agree with you. Now, there have always been tornadoes in Oklahoma. That is not unusual. But there is no question about the fact that our weather is changing and quickening, if you will. That's the title of my book, of course. Plug, plug. I'll tell you how to get it after a while here. Um, but... Uh, Uh, I would like to ask you about that, Scott. Um, There is something going on, some environmental change going on, that is reflected not just by the possible presence of chupacabras and whatever else, but there's a larger thing going on, a change, basic profound change in our weather, in our environment. New diseases are popping up, things that are killing fish off the East Coast. Uh, the Antarctic uh, ice shelf, one of them getting ready to drop off into the water. Uh, a lot of very unusual environmental things, ozone, depletion, the rest of it, all going on at once. And it all seems to be quickening. Is it possible that these strange creatures are some kind of product of this change?
4: Uh, that certainly uh, has always come to mind. I mean, we seem to be having all the uh, the uh, signs of the times uh... not only applicable to to Judeo christian religion but to uh... other millennial uh... religions as well Um certainly people who uh... let's say read the book of revelation etc have drawn parameters between what was going to happen strange creatures being seen etc and uh... there's certainly uh, the possibility that this is this could also be chupacabras and bigfoot like creatures and uh... Your pterodactyls that manifest every so often mm-hmm. could be part of this.
1: All right, let's go to the phones. First-time caller line, uh, you are on the air with uh, my guest Scott.
6: Uh, I just wanted to ask him, um, what does he think? Like, what bothers me about this, like, like that thing and uh, Bigfoot and whatnot, is that they seem to cough up here, and then suddenly they're in California. And That's right. Somewhere else, and here there. And I was just wondering, well, how much do you think it might be a people propagating a, a legend? A legend, all right. Uh, where
1: are you, by the way?
6: I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. Right. I'm listening to you out of Como. All
1: right. Aside from my... Aside from my... I, um, discussions on the air about the chupacabra and these other things. Have you heard about them otherwise?
6: Yeah, up here at the, in uh, British Columbia and that.
4: I think what people are
6: um, hearing
4: on the media and the press is usually the uh, the humorous, the uh, dismissive stories, which in no way would lead people to um, to begin conducting hoaxes on their own aside from the photo hoaxes which are ubiquitous in you know, these days of uh, all kinds of scanning technology in the home mm. and all these things, uh, there have been no hoaxes. You certainly have had a lot of colorful characters like the psychic I mentioned earlier in the show uh, dropping their two cents and saying that they're from this planet, that planet, they will not eat, yeah. drink human blood, etc. But outright hoaxes, I don't believe we've had any
13: thus
1: far. Okay, all right. Wild card Line, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
13: Yeah, Art? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm calling from Reading. Uh, that last fellow that talked from British Columbia? Yes. Uh, I can take it down a little bit further south. I used to live with the Quileute Indians in Forks, Washington. Yes. I'm a trucker, and I hauled their fish. They're a fishing village. And uh, I asked one time about Bigfoot down in that area, and they said, yeah, we have sightings all the time, but we okay. just don't noise it around. We're tired of being laughed at. Right. Well, uh, I have an incident to relate to you. Uh, the reservation cop and I were pretty good friends. And the night before, all of this, the, the big, the big happening, they had gone to dinner, uh, the Coast Guard commander and his wife and Joe and his wife, the reservation cop of course. And uh, coming back that night about 9.30, there was a hard right hand turn into the reservation, on a little one and a half lane blacktop road, and this big hairy critter ran across the road. Joe got him in his spotlight stopped his car. He was in his prowl car and he, he stepped back to the pickup behind him, which was a Coast Guard pickup, and he asked the guy in the pickup, did you see anything? He says, well, I can't really be sure. So they let it go. The next morning, uh, two little kids were playing on a, on a bend in the river where it took its last turn before it went out to the ocean. and They were throwing rocks at some big critter across in the bushes across the river it was quite a ways. The rocks never got to him. and The big guy, he'd kind of half-heartedly throw one back, mm. but uh, he was on a spot of ground that was bordered on one side by the blacktop road to a public parking area to go to the beach, which was a reservation border. The beach access was was public land, and then the river divided the public land from the reservation. Well, here came a car. The big guy heard it, he stood up, and these two little kids, the next thing Joe knows, he's got them in his office, and they're practically incoherent, and he related this to me. I didn't see it firsthand, of course, and that's when I began asking around about, uh, they call them Sasquatch up there. Right. And all over the Northwest, you hear the same thing from the local folks up there, that uh, they have sightings all the time.
1: Well, I've got an idea. Let us ask our guest, Scott, um, we've got a lot of Bigfoot sightings in the Northwest. Are there sightings in Mexico, in Spanish lands, uh, around the world, for that matter, of what we call Bigfoot?
4: Yes, we certainly do. In fact, one of the chapters of Chupacabras and Other Mysteries is devoted to that uh, to that subject. Uh, you have the Sasquatch-like creature called the Supai, which is in uh, the Andes between Chile and Argentina.
1: What is that? How how do they describe it?
4: They describe it as an a simian, eight foot tall, hairy creature. Uh, it's also in the mythology of the area. Uh, people feel that it's a gentle giant, just as specific people in the Northwest uh, feel about Bigfoot. And certainly there has been evidence gathered by um, zoologists over the years that such a creature does exist at the higher reaches of the Andes. Uh, if you move into Amazonia in Brazil, you start getting reports of uh, gigantic simians or uh, humanoids, pre-human creatures, which could also be... Um, part of Bigfoot tradition.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, Puerto Rico, as I said, has had reports of the Comecogoyos since the 80s, or out the 70s, actually. Mexico has also had, this is interesting about Mexico, is its two mountain chains, the uh, Sierra Madre, mm-hmm. uh, both on the east and the west, are very poorly explored uh, mountains. And people are quite proud of the fact, actually, that these mountains have never been explored.
1: Uh, in other words, there are areas, you're telling me, where man really has never gone in Mexico?
4: That's absolutely correct. And people consider it a point My. of pride that these things have never been properly investigated. And certainly, creatures like that could be living in there. If you move into Central America, you have a smaller simian creature, the sisamite, which is in uh, Belize and Honduras.
7: Uh-huh.
4: Uh So, yes, you do have uh, this tradition of... of uh, Sasquatch-like creatures spreading all the way down to South America. Certainly, there's a, a Bigfoot of the Pyrenees between France and Spain. So, is this simply a creature that chooses mountains as its, um, as its habitat? I don't know. Gee
1: whiz, I thought every square inch of everywhere had been trumped upon by man.
4: That is... Uh, I think we all uh, think that. I think it was uh, the late Ivan Sanderson who pointed out to the fact uh, that cartographers, map makers play fast and loose with the, with, uh, with their, the, the data they have at hand. Uh, they'll cover an area of so many grids from the air. They'll send someone in there to take a couple of measurements, but no one will ever go into the heart of things.
1: So there's lots of land that man has na- not yet walked upon, and who knows what might be there. Precisely. Okay. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
14: Hi, my name is Ramona.
1: Ramona. Uh-huh. Nice name.
14: I know. It's your wife's name, too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah,
14: I've been listening to you. Um, I'm very concerned, and I'm interested in Scott's what he's talking about, because I have seen, they've had several um, features on different television shows about this, and they have shown, uh, tried to show pictures of what this Chupacabra looks like.
1: Chupacabra. Right? I mean, yeah. yeah and by the way, Scott, is that right? They, they have a drawing. That is pretty well universally accepted. what this lady is talking about, of what the chupacabra looks like.
4: That's correct. That would be uh, Jorge Martín's drawing that he did back in 1995.
1: Is that the best?
4: That seems to be the one closest to the truth, uh, to the to the actual description, rather than the truth. I've seen uh, a number of drawings of the creature, well, and I've seen the numbers held up to a number of witnesses. They say no, the the uh, closest one seems to be the original drawing.
14: Because they look almost like, you know, like the aliens, and as you were talking before about all the different storms and the activities and the different tornadoes and stuff, I'm from Westfield, Massachusetts, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you know where that is.
1: Uh, I don't, but that's okay. Uh,
14: you ever hear of Hartford? Of course, oh, of course. Okay, it's on the other side of Springfield. Okay. Yeah, it's right. It's not too far from the Berkshires. Okay. And uh, every now and then, I know you. I've heard you hear about sightings of UFOs and stuff. I have actually seen sightings of strange lights, too. But um, the thing that gets me about this is it seems to me that um, you did have a subject one time about... The mutating frogs. Oh, yes. And I'm wondering if these could be possibility of mutate, mutation. Oh, there, of...
1: And there's absolutely no question about it. Thank you. That's what I was talking about earlier. What I call the quickening. One aspect of it is the environmental changes. We have frogs that are mutating, extra legs. I've got a photograph of a frog with an eye in its throat. Uh, in some areas of the upper Midwest now, they cannot find normal frogs. They're nearly all mutated. Uh, we've got single-celled and simple creatures uh, in the Antarctic now being so affected that they have detected genetic change in the DNA strand. Um, there's some pretty strange stuff going on. So that an animal like this could be produced by changes that are naturally or su- not so naturally occurring on Earth. Not a surprise, huh, Scott?
4: Uh, not at all, certainly. Uh I don't know of any creature, however, that leaves a radiation signature uh, that's above background radiation. So my contention would be that, well, it's possible that it could be a, uh, a genetic mutation.
1: Well, yes, but radiation may have had something to do with its creation.
4: Uh, you can't put that, uh, that possibility aside either, no. You certainly can't. Uh, nonetheless, I tend to incline to um, the fact that if it's leaving that kind of uh, radiation amount, you're dealing with something completely uh... beyond the pale
1: um, yeah. west of the rockies you're on the air with scott corrales hi
15: this is fritz from phoenix
1: hi fritz
15: i have been following the true mystery uh... with great interest for the last three years uh... It made the headlines i would say even in the in the mainstream media
7: right so
15: fast of course archie had a lot to do with your program to give it the exposure <laughs> And, uh, that's of course positive because the world would never know it took Bigfoot 30 years to go up front and here the chuba comes in, in three years so fast. Now I'm myself going through the process of elimination, but it's very difficult from the living room to do that. Now it seems, in my opinion, there's definitely an intelligence dropping the chuba from counter to counter. And you know, I want to ask Scott, the question is, uh, how is it possible Uh, that it can be dropped. Is there any evidence now, video? I I mean, a lot of people have video cameras nowadays. Is there a possibility to set a ring of watches out with video cameras to see how these, uh, this mystery moves around? And if there's a connection with UFO, because everything points to it, but of course that's just speculation. You know, I
4: believe that in uh, January of 96, there was a project, uh, set up in Puerto Rico to somehow uh, involve a network of, of night vision equipment and, uh, camcorders oh. to be triggered at a certain time. And I'm not sure what the outcome of that, uh, of that project was, but certainly efforts have been made, uh, in that direction. Uh, now, however, one of the main complaints, though, uh, that's been echoed, I think, since the situation started, is why don't people have more camcorders in Puerto Rico, etc.? And I think the main, the, the main contention here is, yes, people have as much access to still cameras, camcorders, what have you, but it's not a shutterbug society.
1: Well, listen, whether it is or not, let me tell you something. I have now seen two UFOs. Both times I kicked myself silly after seeing the things. Uh, One, particularly, uh, not very long ago here at home, I could have run in and grabbed my 8mm, which had a good zoom on it, and it didn't occur to me. You know why? Because when you're in the middle of something like that, You're absolutely frozen. And as much as a disc in the sky froze me, uh, Scott, I can only imagine that to see something like the chupacabra, not only would you be, it would be um, fight or flight time, or you'd be frozen in place with victim tattooed on your forehead. It's hard to know which, but you'd be not inclined to reach for a camera.
4: Exactly. I would second that motion certainly
1: and only people who have seen something like this and understand the way it it immobilizes you uh, can understand why there are not a lot of photographs taken
4: however the contention keeps on it, it arises every time why are there no photos why do we keep on having drawings and artists renderings why aren't there any photos what about mexico what about this what about here what about there and all we can produce is let's say the cold light of day uh, It's handiwork. We keep on seeing the dead animals. Yet, perhaps someday, one of these uh, camera arrays will work and deliver us images, hopefully uh, video footage as opposed to still footage, of the creature uh, carrying out its actions.
1: Well, suppose they were to set up night vision equipment and video recorders and all the rest of it, and cameras, and they actually caught an image of one of these. How do you think that would affect society? Particularly, Spanish society.
4: I think Spanish society would be simply would be actually simply uh, yes, we told you so. Here it is. Uh, in the United States the reaction would just be well, it's a hoax. Obviously, that's a man in a suit.
7: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh,
4: some sort of virtual reality, right? And uh, computer generated. So, and all so you could never convince uh, the skeptics or the scientific community who has they have PhDs writing on this.
1: um... So a a photograph is not going to really be sufficient uh, for all these, uh, I'll put it in quotes, civilized people up north here.
4: No, a photograph is going to sell a lot of newspapers and a lot of magazine articles, but it's not going to convince anyone.
1: You're quite correct. They're going to say it is somebody in a suit, or they're going to say it is a photographic manipulation. And frankly, that's true of any photograph of any unusual phenomena from ghosts to UFOs to photographs of creatures and all the rest of it, um, we have come into an age where nobody is going to believe a damn thing, photograph or not. So, next question. With regard to Bigfoot, there is a reputable scientist in the Northwest who says the first Bigfoot that we can kill, we should kill. And um, then there should be the death penalty for anybody who would kill a second one. In other words, he's saying, in effect, we want one so that we know we've got this creature. We put it on the endangered species list, uh, we examine it, we dissect it, we cut it into little pieces and find out what makes it tick, and and then we we kill no more.
4: I've heard that contention, (coughs) and certainly you have the argument that until you kill one, no one will know that it's real. Uh, you have the opposing view which is we're talking about a sentient creature in any shape or form yes, yes. Uh, we're killing one of our, our relatives one of our primate relatives uh-huh.
1: so um, what, what would you say of those two views which one would you embrace
4: um <laughs> oh that's the, between the pit and the pendulum there yes I would have to advocate uh, perhaps the actual downing of a Bigfoot having to kill one
1: take one down
4: to be able to uh, just prove to the world scientific community and the media at large, yes, it does exist. And I think this the same would apply to any uh, abnormal creature. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, so take one down, prove it exists, and then what? Add it to the endangered species list or begin to worry about the future of humanity generally? Uh, <laughs>
4: it's a consolation prize to add it to the endangered species list. It doesn't do it any good, though.
1: <laughs> All right, Scott. Hold on. We'll do one more hour. Phones are... Uh, Going nuts here, so stand by. Scott Corrales is my guest. He uh, has the background and has done the research on the chupacabra and other similar mysteries. So if you have questions about these weird creatures, and I guess in a way it also involves Bigfoot, and this whole range of creatures that seem to come and go in a most horrific way, here we are.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 16, 1997. somewhere in time on premier radio networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 16, 1997.
1: My guest is Scott Corrales. He has authored a book called Chupacabras and Other Mysteries. He knows about such things. His background includes such things. He has investigated for years monsters, things you would not want to meet in the middle of the night, that sound like this. We'll get back to them in a moment.
0: To Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and screen previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Greenlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think. As a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed in on-demand broadcasts of Art Bells, Somewhere in Time shows, and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Open up your third eye with Coast to Coast AM and George Norrie.
2: I am now convinced that people who listen to this program have an even higher IQ. They truly want knowledge because they are different than most people.
11: And they are the people that have left themselves open. They don't put blinkers on. They are looking for information, and this is where they find it. So, once again, I've got to compliment you for bringing this kind of programming to the masses, and that's a beautiful thing.
0: Now, we take you back to the night of June 16th, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Now, back to Scott Corella. Scott has been investigating things like the Chupacabra and other monster mysteries for many, many years. And uh, so if you have any questions, uh, come now. Scott, are you there?
4: I certainly
16: am.
1: All right. We'll do one more hour, and uh, lots of people apparently want to talk about this. So to the phones. First time caller line, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
16: Hi, Art. Hi. Um, love your show.
1: Thank you. Where are you?
16: Fallsview, West Virginia. All right. And it's in the panhandle. Right. Um, uh, okay. First thing I'd like to say, I love your site. It's a top bookmark on my account.
1: All right. Yes, it's a good website. Yeah. Thank you.
16: I'm talking to my parents about getting web TV, too. Good for you. Okay. Um, My question is, uh, has where's the hot... Uh, where's the... Okay. Let's try this again. Okay. Where in the United States has these been cited, have these been cited, as, I mean, as far as up? You know, how far up have they been cited in the United States? That's a very good question.
4: When um, you
1: say, well, let's qualify that. what do you mean by they? Chupacabras? Chupacabras, yeah. Chupacabras, all right.
4: Right, I thought, I thought that was going to be easy but, uh, for the caller, uh Having the mutilations. Uh, then the
8: Hialeah area.
1: As a matter of fact, may I stop you, Scott, and then you can answer the rest of the question. There was um, an animal that attacked a car north of Miami somewhere, and it put actual deep scratches in the bumper of the car. Did you hear about that?
4: I certainly did. That was researched by Dr. Virgilio Sanchez, uh-huh. whose little book on the Chupacabras in Florida has just come out. Uh it moved north, then it moved west from Florida. We could get, started getting the sightings in Texas, then New Mexico, Arizona, California. Finally, it moved as far north as Oregon, as far as I know. Uh, however, Sorry. it never moved uh, farther north on the eastern seaboard. Uh, the phenomenon then quickly moved overseas uh, to thrill, no doubt, people in Spain and in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And it kept on moving south into uh, South America, but no reliable information is available from either Colombia or Venezuela.
1: Well, there are those who would be suspicious that the Chupacabra, other than its brief sojourn into the States, uh, is seen mainly uh, in Spanish-speaking areas.
4: That has often been remarked. uh, Is this just a... uh,
1: Spanish phenomenon.
4: A figment of the Spanish, Hispanic-American mentality, or something prone to Spanish-speaking populations? I don't think so. I think uh, it's an equal opportunity phenomenon. I think if you <laughs> happen to be in an area where it's taking place, you yeah. spend a good chance seeing it. Uh, Ethnicity notwithstanding.
1: Okay, but is there any cultural uh, propensity that you could explain that, that would begin to enter that area saying, well, it is mainly a Spanish kind of thing?
4: Mm-hmm. You could say that, yes, as we mentioned earlier in the show, that there is a greater acceptance of uh, the paranormal, the supernatural. Uh, in uh, Latin society, perhaps because of the African influence to deal with as well, and that's the uh, supernatural, is certainly a West African thing.
1: Well, we know that, that uh, UFO sightings are so common in Mexico City that people have begun to take them for granted, and just sort of going, oh, there's another one.
4: See, that, that was a case when I lived there in the 70s. Uh, we had, a, I guess, our own equivalent down there of the uh, 1973 year of the humanoids we were having in the States, and it got to the point where UFOs were simply a matter of curiosity more than anything a matter of admiration. Uh, people stopped paying attention and said, well, yes, these things are real, and uh, they may be from another
1: planet, from another dimension, and mm-hmm. you will know. All right. Uh, wild Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
8: Yeah, hi, Art. Hi, Scott. Hello. Uh,
1: where are you,
5: sir? Say, Missouri. Okay. Kind of the heart of Bigfoot country.
8: <laughs>
6: <laughs> it sure is.
5: Uh yeah, I was wondering. Um, St. Louis is a place that's building out, and um, as our p- community kind of branches out into what used to be uh, wooded areas, have there mm-hmm. been any reports of a Bigfoot uh, like wandering through a subdivision? I recall back in the seventies there
4: were, uh, you know, like big stories in Florida. Oh really? In Hialeah. I remember that some it was seen parading through the backyards. I because believe it was a Lauren Coleman, who will research that information.:
1: um, It is interesting as we move into areas that we have not been in before. For example, in South America, it is said you can see the fires in the rainforests, as we burn them down um, from space, they are so severe. And so we're constantly moving man into areas where man has never been before, and maybe in a lot of areas, as you pointed out earlier, where man has never walked before. So exactly. should we be surprised that we see things that man has never seen before?
4: Well, we know that when we stir up uh, ecosystems that have never been disturbed, we come up with things like the Ebola virus and uh, Lassa fever and all these other strange viruses, exactly. which we have no uh, immunity resistance, certainly.
1: Exactly. There is a, um, a new virus off the coast, the East Coast now, As a matter of fact, I've got another report on it this morning. And what it does is it goes to the bottom of fresh or salt water, and it waits. And when enough toxins enter the water, it is activated. And it begins killing fish first. And then it begins um, making people sick. And it's one of those things that you might speculate has always been there, but, you know, the conditions were not quite right for it to flourish but the minute the right toxins get in the water suddenly it's activated and there it is
4: it serves as a catalyst then to bring these things
1: a out. catalyst oh thank you that's the word east of the rockies you're on the air with scott corrales hi hello there going once going twice <laughs> go on west of the rockies you're on the air hi
16: hello
1: hello yeah
16: this is chris i'm calling from tacoma hi chris Yeah, um, first, I had a couple questions and then one short comment, but I was just wondering, I was curious, how many years does the Chupacabra go back to?
1: Good question.
4: Uh, The Chupacabras is a recent phenomenon in the uh, incarnation to which it's been been known. It's from 1995. If you go back to the 70s, you'll see similar activity, but there was no creature ever associated with it.
16: Hmm, because I was wondering as far as um, reproduction, because I get the, the impression that, that when the sasquatch and the chippecabra is being talked about, it, it's, it's talked about singly, like a chippecabra or a sasquatch, and I was mm-hmm. wondering, um, they must be reproducing or, or At some point, what would their lifespan be? I mean, they would either have to die off like anything. um, Well, that's actually,
1: you know, we've been talking about that. In other words, have you noticed they appear, they are a problem, and then they are gone again Hmm. for a while? Now, I'm not sure what that suggests, but uh, I I understand where you're coming from with your question. And I think the last thing we would want is for these things to begin to reproduce uh, in a prolific manner.
4: Uh, that is certainly uh, undesirable.
1: Uh, <laughs>
4: Bacabras has been seen in uh, in groups of three or four, in uh, certain parts of, of Puerto Rico. So we know there's a plurality of beings, as opposed to a single one that appears in uh, different locations. Uh, whether it's a natural creature, I doubt that any natural creature emits a smell akin to battery acid.
1: Battery acid.
4: Battery acid has been mentioned. Uh, Malathion, the pesticide, has been mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Strong acrid chemical odors Mm -hmm. uh, are left behind by this creature.
1: Well, if I were to see three chupacabras, uh, there would be nothing further to worry about for me because I'd faint. (laughs) And then they'd have their way with me, I suppose. First time caller line, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
16: Hi, Art. This is Carolyn in Seattle. Hi. Hi. My question fits into the realm of other kind of mysteries. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask Scott if he knew whether or not he heard anything about people with <laughs> this is this is my situation waking up in the morning with different kinds of ta- brands that my my children call them brandings. They're like uh, shapes of squares, circles, triangles, and they are on your body. Yes. Um, from anywhere on my back to my neck and they last for about three months they're completely numb they look like they they are raised marks that look like they've been severe burns and they have deep bruises in the center Wow and there's no feeling at all to to, to these areas
1: in other words there is the possibility you, you have been attacked by something in well, the night you
16: know, right the first time I saw this I, I have a king-size waterbed <laughs> I came in my room I just tore my bed to pieces trying to find what I had slept on sure and, um, you know, I've had children eight, ranging from the age of 24 to, uh, 16, and I have a husband I've been with for 20 years, and uh, a grandchild, and we've, we all look at these things, and we all, you know, th- we, there's just no explaining that.
1: May I ask a personal question? Yes. Do you sleep with your husband?
16: My husband is a merchant seaman, so he's gone often.
1: Ah. These
16: have come up when he's been here, and, um, You know, it's just the strangest thing. So
1: many times you're a a lonely target.
16: Right. Oh, yeah, Um, most definitely, most of the time. He's been home the last year for about six weeks. So I'm, you know, I'm at a um, place where I'm wondering if Scott has been aware of anyone else.
1: All right, good question. It comes under the area of other mysteries for sure. Scott?
16: I really wish
1: I could be more helpful.
16: Um, This sounds like a
1: very,
4: very serious matter. Uh, It would fall more into the realm of of poltergeists Pultrusive phenomena, where welts are Maybe. left on the skin, impressions left on the skin, or what is now being uh, covered under abduction studies. Well, you know, I did call body. Peter
16: Davenport here in in Seattle, mm-hmm. and he put me in touch with a doctor here who does this as a side kind of thing. Um, he has very limited time that he can invest in this, and so he asked me to keep a journal for a year. Let's keep because a journal. Started, yeah, pictures and journals. Um, what happens is in the mornings. I started noticing a pattern. Um, I call it... It's it's difficult me to talk
1: about this because I really haven't. Before. No, I understand. Listen, I'll tell you what. Have you also been taking photographs? Yes. You have.
16: Yes, the, the triangles are very, very clear and specific. The squares are very, very clear. Um, the circles are very clear for about a month. And then they start fading away. I know.
1: I think I've got the picture. What I'm asking is... Don't send me originals, but could you send some photographs?
16: I could. I, yes, I could. Um, the thing that I've, I've gotten, I haven't even paid very much attention. I've got one now that faded about three weeks ago, lasted about three to four months. And as they fade, they huh. break up into patterns of circles. But you know, even after they fade, I still have numbness. They're all over my back. I have numb places.
1: <laughs> all right. I I would very much like to see some photographs.
16: Yes.
4: Okay. Send send
1: them to me. All right. All right. All right. Thank you.
16: And best
4: of
1: luck. Uh, best of luck indeed. Wow. Um, East of the Rockies. You are on the air with Scott Corellis. Hi.
8: Yes. Good morning, Art. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Uh, well, let me just say first of all, Art, you have some very interesting topics and. Uh, yeah. I, I drive truck at night, and you definitely keep me looking on my shoulder for some of your topics there. This ought to
1: do it, yes. Where are you, by the way?
8: Um, I'm in Mendota, Illinois, uh, currently making a stop in the town here. Okay. Um, you know, you talk a lot about, uh, we got on the subject earlier, you guys were talking a little bit about uh, aliens' uh, possibilities of cover-ups with the, the government and not letting people possibly know about them. Uh, Scott, do you ever have the fear uh, all the work and the effort and the time that you put into this that uh, if one is ever found uh, alive or dead, uh, that there's a possibility that, you know, nobody could ever know about this, and it would take years to unravel, so to speak, as, as the UFOs have come along in that?
1: Uh, it's a good point. In other words, uh, let's say we find a body, or we have found one, or let's say that we have captured one alive. Uh, isn't it probable, Scott, that the military would descend, they would take the creature, it would disappear to Wright Patterson Air Force Base or some place or another, and we would never see it.
4: Almost certainly, but I'd like to. The way I see UFO research right now, and particularly the work that I've compiled on uh, what's going on in Latin America, we seem to be gathering evidence, uh, all our research, all our material, for the benefit of future generations who will perhaps be in a better position to understand the phenomenon. Much like electricity was of no use to Benjamin Franklin he was fooling around with the concept. Mm. Uh, it would have to wait another century before it was useful to someone. And I think that's the thing with ufology. Uh, we are creating the reference books that our great-great-great-grandchildren will look back to for the early information on the phenomenon when they're in a position to uh, solve the mystery. So I think even if uh, a body were discovered and the information were concealed, uh, somehow those government reports would eventually surface in the future, and it's a a, a phenomenon that's going to be for the benefit of future generations. It's very important that we document everything. We preserve all the information we have uh, to that end.
1: All right. Uh, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
12: How are you doing, Art? My name is Stephen. I'm calling from Chicago. Hi, Stephen. One of the questions I'd like to ask Scott is, and this is something that you've been talking about a lot with your quickening, it's, um, are these animals, like the chupacabra, the Sasquatch, are they simply animals that have already been here for eons, right. and that because we're simply going into their territory, that we're seeing them more often? It's highly, it's highly unlikely, uh,
4: but we, we cannot dismiss the possibility that as we move into virgin forest areas uh, in our search for minerals and other resources, we're drilling deep into the earth, we're going into caves. Uh, it's very. Light. It could be possible that these creatures uh, form part of our our, our physical reality. Uh, however, why do they emit? Why do they leave these radiation signatures? Why do they emit these acrid chemical odors?
1: Yeah, I, this is the first time I have ever heard about the radiation signatures. That's really weird.
4: It certainly is. It's very and, disturbing.
1: And then, then you mentioned one other thing, Scott, that um, caught my attention. You said we're drilling deeper into the earth. Uh, in fact we are and is it just possible that some of these creatures may be coming up from under underground
4: that notion has been um, uh, set forth a couple of times uh, it's the alleging well the creature has luminous eyes it could live underground exactly um, what, would it, what, would it, what would it survive on living underground well that's also open to speculation but drilling ever deeper for more oil, for minerals, certainly Puerto Rico has uh, supplies of copper and other valuable metals, and there's consideration sure. that they're going to be exploited. Mm-hmm. Test pits could have been dug, and this thing could have come out.
1: Up and out. <laughs> Boy. All right, Scott, stand by. We're going to take a break here at the bottom of the hour. Scott Corrales is my guest. His book coming out shortly uh, is called Chupacabras, and other mysteries.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 16th, 1997. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired June 16, 1997.
1: Chupacabras and Other Mysteries is the book. Scott Corrales is the author and the investigator. If you'd like to talk to him, uh, that's what telephones are for. All busy at the moment, but um, get in as you can.
0: Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think, as a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed in on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell, Somewhere in Time shows, and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. stories on the radio must be Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie.
2: You know, when I started doing this radio program, Jesse, half of the subjects I was really into, the paranormal, the unusual, ghosts, and things like that. Yeah. The conspiracy stories, you know, I was a little weary about these other than the Kennedy assassination. And all of a sudden, I woke up I simply woke up. Is that what happened with you two?
3: Yeah. That's when I really started to say, what is going on here? And I started to truly then investigate 9-11. And today, I don't believe the government story of 9-11. Here's the three options. Either we knew about it and allowed it to happen, or we knew about it and participated in it, or these were the dumbest buffoons that could have ever been in charge of our country who could have all this pre information and I started to think they knew it was going to happen. They either are part of it or they allowed it to. There's no doubt in my mind.
0: Now we take you back to the night of June 16th 1997 on Art Bell Somewhere in Time.
1: All right, back now to Scott Corrales, who is in Pennsylvania, where it's getting very um, early in the morning, I guess.
7: That's right. <laughs> um,
1: there are not many people like you, Scott. There's Linda Moulton Howe. She was hot on the track of the Chupacabra for a while. Who would you say are the top investigators in the area?
4: Well, Ard, I'd like to begin by saying uh, you mentioned that I was the investigator. i like to see myself just as a chronicler. Uh, the credit for the investigation goes to... Uh, the unsung researchers in Puerto Rico like Federico Álvarez, uh Willy Durán, Jorge Martín, and people who just selflessly devoted themselves for months to going into these areas, talking to the witnesses and ultimately to the witnesses themselves for coming forward. Do they? they
1: all right, then here's a good question. Do the researchers come to similar conclusions? In other words, that there is something real here, that it is not a myth, that something really is killing these animals. Have they all come to the same conclusion, or do they vary?
4: They all agree on the reality of the phenomenon. Uh Uh, And I think, by and large, they do agree on its origin. I think most of the Puerto Rican researchers believe that it's an extraterrestrial phenomenon in some way related to uh, the strong presence of uh, allegedly alien beings on the island. As I said, you could just you could write an entire book.
1: Uh, well, you know, again, Scott, people used to you know scoff a lot at this sort of thing, but here we have a survey done uh, this last weekend by CNN and USA Today that shows that eight out of ten Americans believe the U.S. government is hiding information about contact with aliens. That's eight out of ten. That's a higher percentage than um, um, uh, support uh, abortion, for example. As a matter of fact, eight out of ten is rarely taken as agreement. Well, I think we had it in the Gulf War, maybe. Uh, but Americans rarely agree to that percentage on anything. Uh, so I thought that was amazing. Wild card Line, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
17: Hi, I'm so excited to get on. Um, hi, Scott. This is hi. i investigating the Chupacabas. Uh I moved to Puerto Rico in 95, and the chupacabras has been a part of my life. Uh, not exactly personally, <laughs> <hope> but, uh... <laughs> you know, just being exposed to it. Uh, it's interesting that the indigenous people there had a myth of a bat-like creature that represented death, and it was the Kaldibiri. And uh, and also another thing geogra- ge- um, geographically about the island is that it's just a great big catacomb. When I was there, I went to classes, and I did some cave exploring, and there's this one place called Kamui where there are 2,000 caves in the area, and only 200 have been explored. Right, And um, it's just a great big catacomb. Anything can be down there. And the it's fact that you mentioned that,
4: actually, very, pe- very few people know about the Kamui Cave System. It's about 40 kilometers long.
17: Yes, yeah, I've, I've swum through a couple of those myself. Hmm. And uh, and I know that it could be anything out there. And I'm sure that these farmers are not killing off their goats. At a, they're very expensive on the island. They wouldn't just be killing off their goats for no reason. Another thing is the UFO connection there out of Siebel's, uh Satellite sending out messages to aliens, you know, waiting for an answer. Maybe we got one. And um, and there's also a uh, experimentation place there, a military animal experimentation place. And a lot of the people feel that there might be a connection there, some kind of genetic. Some people, you know, have de- have described it as a monkey. And uh, but I don't think we have blood sucking monkeys that I know of. But you know, it's just and the animals don't get rigor mortis after they um, they're dead. They do not get rid of mortis. I mean, that's what I heard on the on the television over in Puerto Rico when I was there. And what's interesting is that, you know, I went there and I came back, uh, I took a Greyhound bus from Florida back all through the southern part of the country up to, and I live near Oregon now. This thing is like following me or something. <laughs> it's kind of funny.
7: Yeah, my kids
17: love the story. They, my son has written a book about it and it's a great mythology to know, but it's also very, very old. In the 70s and in the 50s, there were stories of you know vampire creatures on the island, and it's um, part of the culture, really a mythology, and it's really possible that these things could have come up from the, the center of the earth, with, with so many caves that have not been explored there, and the military thing and the alien thing, you know, there's the uh, I able,
1: uh... Well, it seems as though everybody, thank you, agrees they exist and nobody agrees on where they come from because we just don't know.
4: That remains the uh, the prize-winning question. Where do they come from? Uh, but as the college has pointed out, yes, uh, the Taino Indians had a number of legends. of uh, Certain creatures like, like the uh, the Mavoya, I, I believe, is one of the, uh, the entities. Uh, and yes, there's very much a... Folkloric background for some of these sightings, but Chupacabras itself appears to be a recent development, and uh, I don't see it uh, collected anywhere in uh, in the history books. At any rate, not the ones that I've had access to.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, uh, west of the Rockies. You're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hi.
18: Hi. Where are you? I'm in Montana, Western Montana. Well, all right. And we've had Sasquatch sightings here too. And I've been doing a lot of reading um uh, and I've got a question and, and it involves two two areas uh one is with the the germs and the animals dying and so forth, and the other involves the sightings of the sasquatch. Yes, okay, dating back to World War one, there's been uh ongoing research to develop a a germ or a bacterium or a toxin that would be, uh, super, you know, uh, extremely, uh, toxic. You couldn't kill it. Okay. And, uh, the United States and Great Britain, Germany, Japan, Russia are all involved in, this, in developing this thing.
9: Well, of course, we
18: have done experimentation off of the East Coast that I'm aware of uh, in the early fifties, and since then uh, you know the um, alligators and crocodiles down in the Florida area they've lost their uh, ability to reproduce so there's been uh, sea sea animals and so forth all over on, on both coasts that have shown up dead there's birds showing up dead. I know. Inland. In I know. These are
1: all environmental uh, uh, difficulties that are plaguing us. But I just had a thought, Scott. Uh, let's say that something like the chupacabra is created in a laboratory. Right. Uh, if that's the case, it may be that we have created a new animal genetically. Uh, maybe we have created something that has no natural way to live on this planet. In other words, it has no natural prey it has no natural uh, food it has no natural way to reproduce so it escapes from a lab it does a lot of damage and then it dies possible
4: that's of course as long as we continue discussing the of genetics certainly and a, an escapee from a lab uh... however never, there's, there's been no uh, huge manhunt uh... for the creature that i can tell of course, there were rumors that the creature had in fact been captured by the civil defense in the, the early uh, weeks of the phenomenon, the Puerto Rican stage of the phenomenon. Uh, but nothing ever came of that; it just it just remained hearsay. Which, unfortunately, there's been too much of in uh, in the whole phenomenon. But that's what we're
1: dealing with. Well, as I said, uh, if one were captured. I think it very unlikely, uh, the military would, uh, would go and get it and take it away, and they would dissect it, trying to find out if it was alien or what it was, if they weren't the ones that created it.
4: And they tried to see how it works. That's fact.
1: exactly right, and cut it into little pieces, I'm sure. Um, First-time caller line, you're on the air with uh, Scott Corrales. Hi. Hi,
6: how are you doing?
1: Okay, where are you?
6: I'm calling from Colorado. Yes, sir. Yes, I, um, a, a year ago, I had met a gentleman. That had, uh, came to Colorado at a UFO conference and he had a lot of outstanding photographs. And, uh, he showed me a picture of what he said was a chupacabra.
9: And what
1: did it look like?
6: It sort of looked like a bat. It was in mid-flight and you could make out characteristics on its face. And I looked at a lot of the, uh, local, uh, drawings that people had had that saying that claiming they were chupacabras and some of the features didn't quite Match up to what the. Uh,
1: do you have a copy of this photograph?
6: I could call him and see if I could get permission to send it to you.
1: Would you do that? Yes. You know me in photographs of creatures. I. Uh...
6: <laughs> it, it, you can make out details on it, and a lot of people have looked at it. And at the conference in Denver, a lot of people uh, had looked at it and scrutinized it. But because of the detail, they seemed that it was uh, very good. All right. I uh, question it in any way.
1: You know my address, right? Yes. All right. Send it to me immediately. Okay, I certainly will. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I post these things, and uh, you never know what's fraudulent and what's real. But I put them up there, Scott, and I let people look at them and decide for themselves.
7: Well, it's
4: fascinating. During the Mexican stage of the phenomenon, a couple of fishermen, I think, mutilated a cat or uh, somehow cut it open to give it wings. And that was paraded in Mexican news because of the Chupacabras for a couple of weeks.
1: The winged cat.
4: That's right. And you know what?
1: I weekend. think I saw a photograph of that thing. It's been making the rounds still. That is horrible. That's <laughs> horrible. They it's cut open a cat to give it wings. It's astounding.
4: Uh, what will go on? But people will sometimes think to Chupacabras yeah. like levels.
1: Ah, oh, yes. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Scott Corrales. Hello.
9: Yes, uh, this is uh, Chuck from Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Chuck. Um have an interesting story about a chupacabra and UFO uh connection. All right. We uh I say we a friend of uh, a friend of mine and and I had uh actually it was me that heard the newscast from a local T V station, uh about a man who had had uh, some sort of encounter and at that particular time I'd really just heard, you that know, it little was... bits and pieces about the Chupacabra. Now wait a minute now I heard that. Was that near nashville yeah it it was in the orlando community yes yes, uh, yes. just outside of springfield Tennessee.
1: yes yes and we we...
9: investigated that before the mufon organization showed up
1: and what did you find
9: oh very interesting um what uh what really got my attention was uh, the news media local news media had to rerun the story because the gentleman got a little upset because they portrayed him as the stereotypical good old boy
7: Mm-hmm.
9: Well, with his dog and and, and such, the man had uh, uh, was a carpenter, and uh, they lived out in in the country. Uh, he had two small boys, and what was interesting is when we went out there, uh, he started to go in the house because at that time he was being inundated. Uh, he had had a veterinarian to come out and check his dog, and the veterinarian had. Uh, uh, didn't make any comment about any marks. The marks that we saw on this particular dog were not that of an animal or a chupacabra, but at that time we didn't know what it was. He had described these strange lights uh, and also had a UFO that were, was reported above him uh, during this hysterical situation. My outtake on it after, after hearing this was that something was obviously looking at something or, or looking for something uh, around where he lived. Now he had also told us uh, of all the small animals that his dogs had drug up but had all had literally dried up. He called them dehydrated. Mm. And so uh, again, I didn't make the connection. It wasn't until a month later when we went back after Mufon showed up. Uh, let me back up just a second. There were some tracks that he showed us under his deck. And he lived in a trailer out in the country and. Uh, field that he was back up against was uh, just a great big uh, soybean field. Okay, what were the tracks? And the tracks, uh, they were strange. Uh, as a matter of fact, we wanted to take a sample of them, and he told us uh, not to because MUFON had contacted him and told him to uh, you know, leave everything as it was until they showed up. So we didn't bother it, but the tracks, uh, this might sound strange, but they, it looked like, have you ever seen a chicken's track? except this had webs between the the toes, bigger webs than a chicken would have. Uh, uh, it, but it definitely was an imprint, and it was organic. Uh, I'm a, also a physician, and I'm using an alias for obvious reasons. Uh, and so uh, having that interest in this, we went out there. I guess this was my first official UFO investigation that turned out to be a little stranger because, well, in fact, when we went back a month later, uh, Mufon had interviewed his two sons, and w- the little boy, the smaller boy, had told the people that he had saw this creature up in a tree. Uh-huh. And again, I had not made the connection with the small animals, but uh, we were more interested in the UFO sighting and uh, some of the strange phenomena that centered around it. So, when we heard uh, Mufon had told the little boy that that was a chupacabra, the way he described it, and uh, this this person was obviously in a situation he didn't want any more media on this because his first initial the local radio stations were making fun of him and so uh, we were we were genuine with him and uh, you know to this date I could go back out there and uh, visit with him but uh, it was very interesting and uh, I thought maybe I'd shed that light well, on well why discussion. don't
1: you do two things uh, one why don't you put him in touch with me sure we don't laugh at people here
9: right I understand that.
1: All right, well, all right, I really
9: appreciate your show, and I think you have some uh, some interesting concepts on that. My only <laughs> thing is that uh, whatever it was after thinking about this, from having been out there on two different occasions is that it w- and it would take too much detail to go in to make this correlation. but from from what I understood, and this is just an opinion, but it seemed like whatever had gotten loose out there and had been out there weeks before this sighting appeared something had some way of tracking this animal and it had to be something with a lot more technology than we have and was uh... because after that incident after the ufo incident so there were no more uh... no more dead animals so maybe
1: up. it came and collected whatever it was doctor thank you very much thank you take care um, there you are scott that's
9: a fascinating story i would never heard
4: of that uh, account
1: well you know what i found is scott when you don't laugh at people when you simply listen to them um, They don't mind telling their story, but just about everybody minds being ridiculed, and they don't like it. And if you ridicule them, then they're just not ever going to tell you their story. Anyway, listen, Scott, um, your book, Chupacabras and Other Mysteries, is not yet available. Uh, So what can they do? Uh, Take pre-orders at this point?
4: Uh, The expected release date
1: at the time is July 4th. July 4th, a great day to release a book indeed. All right, my friend, I want to thank you for being here, and um, we will do it again uh, sometime.
4: Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure.
1: Scott, take care, and I hope you can get some sleep. I'll try. All right. Thank you, and good night. That's uh, Scott Carellis. and he knows about the chupacabra and other such animals. Coming up next, open line talk radio. Unscreened, unplanned,
0: and sometimes... Pretty weird. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 16th, 1997. Dr. Dina Doe. Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 16th, 1997. Top of the morning.
7: Never
1: this is another one of those ones that have been running around in my head. And around and around and around. Why is that? How does music do that to a person? How does it do it? the music was much better than the movie um, I'm going to touch on just a couple of things here and then we're going to go to open lines uh, over the weekend uh, CNN and the USA today combined in their efforts as they do many times to do a poll and the results of that poll along with many other questions were as follows 64% of the American people all of you say aliens have Contacted humans. Imagine that. 80% of all Americans. I said 80%. And we rarely, rarely ever agree, uh, you know, in that percentile. 80% of all Americans say they believe the U.S. government is hiding information on alien contact. These are not small majorities, they're big ones. And my question is why do you think such a large group of Americans believe? In alien presence, uh, in fact, in a greater percentage than they give their own government credibility. Hmm? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? Uh, They believe more in aliens than they do in their own government. And then, of course, there is the one that I think most of the talk shows are probably talking about, and I will not ignore it, the President in San Diego made a speech in which he considered it's interesting that he would consider it as opposed to doing it it's like trying to run it up the flagpole or something considering an apology to black Americans for slavery now the first question I have is why the president would consider publicly giving an apology if you're going to do it why not just do it is he just putting this out there, trying to um, uh, trying to see what we think of the idea? I suppose he conducts himself mostly by polling, doesn't he? So, obviously, then, is it proper the president apologize for slavery, for our ancestors' uh, uh, misdoings? Is it proper he would do that? Is there any good reason for him to do it. Now, there are a couple of ways of looking at uh, race relations in America today. One of them uh, is the inner cities where they are arguably deteriorating, getting worse and the other is uh, non-inner city areas where relations probably are getting better. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think it was Cokie Roberts on the Sunday show, said that uh, interracial marriage is up 20% in the last 10 years. And I have always thought that eventually that will put an end to race difficulties because there will continue to be interracial marriage until finally we all end up being grays or something. You know, not black, not white, not red. Uh, with some Asian characteristics will end up looking like grays with some Asian characteristics. What does that remind you of? <laughs> so there is that.
0: Now we take you back to the night of June sixteenth, 1997 on Ark Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Hi, Art. I feel more people believe in aliens, true, than our government, because the aliens haven't lied to us as much as the government has. (laughs) As far as President Clinton, or anybody for that matter, apologizing to blacks in America for slavery, I don't know too many people living today that had anything to do with it, so why should anybody living today have to apologize for it? It's too bad that there was slavery in the first place. But I'm not sure... But I'm sure not going to apologize for something I have nothing to do with. Nick and KSTP country. Yeah. I kind of understand that. I think that our president is just setting something up to be talked about, argued about, that will have no relevance uh, for those who take the position Nick does. Uh or that I do. And I'm not against it. Slavery was wrong. Everybody knows that. But what relevance is there? In what way will it improve anybody's life out there for a president to make an apology? By the by wi- uh, by the way while we're still at it, he won't even apologize to Paula Jones. West to the Rockies? Uh, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Turn your radio off, please.
15: Okay, I'm sorry I'm not getting you on my radio right now. You're not no,
1: um, I'm... Well, a- there's then uh, two reasons for you to have it off. All
6: right. Um, I uh, watch uh, zombie movies, Italian zombie movies, and... Um, you watch Italian zombie I mean, movies? Yeah, from the 70s. And I was wondering if, uh, like, uh, say there was a contagion
4: or a um, disease now that uh, was infecting people, killing them, uh, and uh, they, uh, the bodies, I don't know, they still had the disease when they were buried, and... Do you think that there's a possibility that any disease that was coming forth right now uh, would uh, maybe be, uh, I don't know, in some kind of state of limbo? Or
16: maybe uh, just,
4: uh, I'm just wondering if there's a possibility that maybe these diseases could revive the person to come out of uh, the
19: ground.
1: Well, I would hope not. <laughs> uh, that would be the last thing I would want to see. <laughs> uh, you Remember the Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, that's one of my memories. Probably one of your favorite movies, right? Uh, Dawn of the Dead, too, dawn of it. day. Um, I hope not. I mean, but you never know. There might be some little something down there, lying dormant, waiting for just the right pollutant to come along and marry Mm -hmm. it, and uh, it would reanimate, a better term, Mm -hmm. uh, the dead, and we would have, once again, uh, zombies. Wow. Would you, uh, if there were zombies, I take it from what you've just told me, you would be a fan. I suppose it would probably, uh, I mean, I'd always. I mean, you might even be a zombie groupie. Maybe
5: from a distance. (laughs) 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 Um,
6: But, uh, yeah, because. I remember,
1: look, when I was young and the original movie came along, Mm -hmm. Night of the Living Dead, I thought that was one of the scariest movies I had ever seen in my whole life, and it gave me nightmares for I don't know how long. Yeah. It was horrible. The the original one was actually uh, more horrible than the, uh, the redo, you know, where we had color graphic of people being dismembered. Oh, man, I remember that first one. Actually, even the advertisement for it on the radio, I don't know if those of you who are old enough to remember or not, But even the advertisement for Night of the Living Dead on the radio was really, really scary. Boy, that was scary. It used to freak me out, but then again, I liked it, too. So there he was, a fan of zombies. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. Yes.
20: Uh, This is Jerry from Nashville. Uh, I'm a black person, and I've read um, Ghost Wolf's manuscript, and I think um, that probably... um, what, um, Would you
1: turn your radio off, please? I sure will.
20: Mm-hmm. I think probably what what his um, president is getting at is just um, sort of moving forward, recreating our thoughts um, throughout this manuscript. You know, he speaks of different meetings and
1: isn't and that he, a beautiful manuscript? Oh,
20: it is. It is. It's just lovely. Uh-huh. But I, I don't think. Um, it, I mean, I certainly don't require an apology. But I just think that perhaps. Um, you know, I get the impression that we need to change the direction and so we just need to start somewhere. You know, even with the Indians, you know, just uh the people that probably uh the people that did this are not no longer here, but it's just a way of, of starting. You know, I'm on my prayer bones all the time. Asking for forgiveness for anything I've done to people, you know.
1: But everything uh, relate, in other words, every group has done something to another group. Blacks blacks were here and they helped in many cases fight against the Native Americans.
20: You are absolutely right. I mean, I think we all should be, you know. I think this should be, uh, he should be speaking for everybody. I agree with
1: that. And then maybe the British owe us a big apology. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we'd no doubt owe the Mexicans an apology. I mean, we could all begin apologizing to to each other for everything that's happened in the past.
20: Right. You're absolutely
1: right. Uh I I would just like to know if there's really anything that you feel would come of the president apologizing for slavery. Would there be any difference in your life, in in people's hearts, or anything? No,
20: not at all. I just feel that uh, this is just a way of, you know... Starting over and um, improving, you know, the future for us, because I get the impression that our thoughts, you know, are causing us to uh, move towards destruction, and uh, that's, that's the only thing that I see.
1: There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Our, our, yes, thank you very much. Um, move toward destruction. We are doing that. Now, if I could understand in some way that an apology from the president really would change hearts And at least he had that part right. I mean, we've already made the laws, um, and for the most part, they're followed. But that does not change a person's heart, and you can't legislate that. So, if I thought that the apology would change hearts, then I'd be for it. But I don't think so, and so I think all he's doing... It seems like anyway, all he's doing is just sort of putting out there something to be argued about. Moreover, he didn't really do it, and, and to me, he should have had the um, the body parts to just come out and give the apology. If he had it in his mind to do it, then he should have just done it. He doesn't have to ask us, in effect, permission to do it. You know, like there'll be a poll, and then if the American people, uh, decide collectively in a poll that an apology is in order, in order then he's going to go ahead and make it if not why then we'll hear no more about it I, I just don't like the way he's doing that West of the Rockies you're on the air hi hi hello
8: hi Art. yes uh, I was just uh, listening to what you had to say to that last uh, caller yes and uh, I've got to agree with you uh, this is pretty much redundant I'm a white man married to a black woman and I see where no apology would do anything. I mean, it's ridiculous. If they're going to do anything, you know, why not apologize to the Native Americans for robbing their, robbing their land from them? Um, I don't know.
1: I mean, there have been injustices uh, perpetrated by peoples upon peoples uh, for as long as there have been peoples.
8: Right, I hear you.
1: So, yeah. I you know, I'm not sure what he's doing back there. I, I guess... I guess... He wants
8: something to be argued about. I don't know. Uh, seeing, <laughs> seeing that my wife is black, uh, if he wants to do anything, uh, give us the equivalent of the 40 acres and a mule that was promised, I guess. Uh, I well, don't know. This is kind of stupid. Then, you then actually...
1: you'd have something real to argue about, at least. Right, exactly. Right. I, I thank you for the call, 40 acres and a mule, or whatever it is Farrakhan wants, or, you know, some sort of remuneration or whatever. We apologized for incarceration of the um, of the Japanese, the internment incarceration. You picked the word during the Second World War as being unconstitutional. Of course, there are survivors of that. I don't think there's any anybody around now that was a slave, or anybody around now that was a slave owner, and I. I don't know. I vacillate between thinking, well, it's an okay thing. It would have been okay if he'd just come out and had done it. Uh, But to sort of make it a national question, should we or should we not apologize, which is what I'm getting from what he said in San Diego, I just don't see why we're doing that. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
8: Hi, Art. This is Jack from San Joaquin Valley in California. Hi, Jack. Hi. uh, I'm calling about the... uh the mention earlier of this law about the technology would it allow the police to find concealed weapons in your car?
1: No, no, no. It's worse than that, Jack. In other words, a police car going by on the street could send out a beam to you, and they could literally see through your clothing and see a concealed weapon. That's the technology. Now, how about that?
8: Well, I wouldn't have a problem with this as long as it was a a condition of parole. Uh, for everybody on the streets who's just walking around and minding their own business, never been in trouble with the law, I can see where this would be a problem. And this I would have a problem with. Uh, If a person's on parole or probation and it's a condition of their parole and they have a search clause, then I can see where this could be initiated for this particular person. Well,
1: if they identified the person and then uh, did the search electronically, that would be one thing. But to have this device on a police car or in a patrol car as a routine matter, Going around looking for people carrying concealed weapons, I don't know. That seems to me like a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment, Uh, clearly.
8: I I tend to agree with you on that point, Art. I I can see that. Um, I'm not really uh, certain about how this technology is all-encompassing. First time I've heard about it is on your show tonight. Right.
1: Well, it's for real. I'm sorry to say it's for real. Thank you very much for the call. It was covered on the Sunday shows. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And they already, you know, have little machines that can literally look through your clothes and see you naked. They are used at some airports. And I suppose it's some sort of offshoot of that. Something that would allow them to detect the uh, presence and see the shape of a gun. Hmm, technology... First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi.
19: Yeah. um, Is it okay if I have any subject tonight?
1: Any subject?
19: Yeah, uh, just uh, something I've been kind of noticing when I watch uh, TV and stuff, uh, read magazines. Uh, A couple years ago I was watching an article about the uh, Canadians were upset with the American military about uh, something about uh, certain kinds of uh, hawks or something that are migrating back and forth because the military reason for experiments, and the experiment was that they had a small item attached to the uh, bird's leg that they could uh, track it by satellite and then that the next step which was supposed to be available the next year and this was right. several years ago is that, that that thing on their leg would actually be able to transmit a video signal to the satellite and you know this is just kind of giving me an idea of what the technology is out there available and when I, then I read articles in different science magazines about the uh, global positioning devices that they have oh, yes. and that they're also working on uh, transmitting badges so that you could wear a badge that would transmit your location. And some of the applications that were talked about was like, you know, you go to Disneyland and you put one on each child. You don't have to worry about, you know, them being lost. And when I I start to piece the whole thing together, and, you know, um, I'm not really one of those uh, uh, conspiracy-minded people, but, you know, in general, I don't trust government. But uh, when I think about the whole thing pieced together, um, if, you know, when I think about the applications for crime, you know, if I was able to put something on somebody, that would I would know where they are at any time.
1: Well, the best way you could do that would be not to put it on them, but to, exactly. put, it, but, but to put it in them.
19: Yes, put it in them. Uh, the chip would, uh, the, you know, there's that one county, I believe, in some state where they were A injecting animals with chips.
1: Yeah, No, they're doing it all over the place.
19: Exactly, and it was mandatory. In one but that time.
1: requires an active scanner. What they yeah. could put in you is an active device that would, in effect, be like an airplane transponder. Mm-hmm. And so they could literally track everybody going everywhere.
19: Right. And uh, the thing is, you know, one of the things I always think about government: the way to get what you want is to have the people demand it. And you know, when you start talking about how it could solve crime, you know, children children would no longer be a threat to be or not not 100 percent, but you know, your children you could you could find out where they are within a blink of a second, possibly, and they could you know who is going to take anybody's kids anymore with the possibility of being found immediately. When, you know, I'm I'm talking years down the road. When you tie this all in with you start tying it in with laser satellite technology yep. and different things like that, I start to think, well, you know, if if the good citizen, of all the good citizens who have this chip or whatever on them, you know, and then you look down the road at you know when it comes to control, uh, you could be taken out at any time, at any place, whenever they wanted to.
1: Well, if they came, do you have children? Yes. Yeah. They came to you and said we could implant this chip in your uh, uh, children. And uh, it would increase uh, their safety manyfold. Uh, we'd find them if they got lost or kidnapped, or some, some foul play took place. Would you go for it?
19: No, no, not with not with the way, way I'm thinking right now. Of course, no.
1: No chips for my kids, no huh? No
19: chips for my kids. But you know, sometimes I sometimes I think to myself, gee, you know, if I can figure this out, then they've already gone beyond what I'm thinking of. I've even
1: well, you know what, you can talks om-
19: about they can put it in you without you knowing it. Yeah, you, know.
1: you can almost depend on it. How about mm-hmm. this? As everybody goes in for a routine operation, mm-hmm. they get implanted.
11: Yeah. Think, think
1: about it. It could be.
11: Yep.
0: We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 16,
10: 1997. I see them blue, in you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world, I see skies of
7: blue,
10: and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark say night, and I think to myself...
0: Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 16, 1997.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Art Bell, and yes, this is the new time slot we're in. Somebody writes, Art, would you please explain your reasoning for moving the time slot of your show, Russ in California? Sure. No problem, Russ. Uh, we are generally thought of as an all-night program. And um, it's easier to be an all-night program beginning at 1 a.m. on the East Coast than it is at 2. Uh, And that is the main reason for moving. And then, of course, as you come across the time zones in the country, uh, it becomes very convenient. Uh, For example, uh, in the Midwest, we have a midnight start. In mountain time zones, uh, we have an 11 o'clock start. And here in the Pacific, we have a 10 o'clock start.
9: So it was just... uh,
1: Sort of more convenient all the way around.
0: Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price. Just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think, as a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed in on-demand broadcasts of Art Bells, Somewhere in Time shows, and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit Coast2Coastam.com to sign up today. Open up your third eye with Coast to Coast AM and George Norrie. I am
11: now
2: convinced that people who listen to this program have an even higher IQ. They truly want knowledge because they are different than most people.
11: And they are the people that have left themselves open. They don't put blinkers on. They are looking for information, and this is where they find it. So, once again, I've got to compliment you for bringing this kind of programming to the masses, and that's a beautiful thing.
0: Now, we take you back to the night of June 16th, 1997, on Ark Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: All right, back to the lines we go west of the Rockies. You are on the air. Good morning.
12: Good morning, Art. How are this you? This is Richard calling from Reno. Hi, Richard. Since we're having uh, open lines this evening... I thought I'd like to talk about black helicopters. Okay. I've spent, uh, well, I'm require. Uh, I'm a retired Air Force, uh, firefighter, and I spent a good portion of my time during, uh, my military career watching helicopters fly around the, the airfield. You yeah. know? And, uh, most military hopco- uh, helicopters are black.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that too. You know?
12: And, uh, oh, oh there's a general paranoia. These helicopters gotta fly around, and, uh,
1: so what's I don't the know where it
12: started? Excuse me.
1: What's the big deal?
12: Uh, nothing. I just wonder what the big deal is uh, with, the, with the people's concern about black helicopters.
1: You're the first call I've had in weeks. Is it? Yeah. So well, it
12: must be just you. Yeah. Well, no, it's, uh, it's, uh
1: there could be one hovering outside your window right now. Why
12: possibly? Are right. looking in? Yes. Uh, Taking
1: in every little detail of your life.
12: They probably already have it. That's right. Uh, and the second thing I'd like to talk to you about <laughs> is your back problems. Uh,
1: well, that's a sore subject.
12: Yes, sir, it is. Uh, I've had chronic chronic back problems for about 15 years, mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't refer to it as a bad back. I refer to it as a problem back because if it's, if I, if I get to thinking it's a bad back, uh, it'll just get me down and keep me down.
1: It's a bad back. Mine's a bad back.
12: It's, well, well, sir, uh, don't let it get you down. Bad back. Oh, yeah. no, it doesn't. It'll, you know, I let it slow me down, but I don't let it stop me.
1: Well, occasionally, about two, three times a year, it turns me into a pretzel for yep, a period right of in. a day or two. And then I slowly begin to, you know, come back to a normal person. <laughs> yeah, I'm having that problem now. Oh. I'm a
12: long-haul truck driver, Art, and uh, you keep me going quite a bit. All right, you my it you making You have a good morning and a good day, huh?
1: You take care. Um, yeah, I have a bad back. Now, I created my own bad back. I fell off a pole. I did uh, what in the industry is called burning a pole. You know what burning a pole is? You have two choices when you burn a pole. You can either... Have you ever seen a phone pole up close? Have you ever seen... Well, they have little things sticking out of them. So when you fall off a pole, you have two choices. You can either grab the pole and slide down it, in essence... And they will be picking things out of your body for for months to come. And you'll generally get poisoned. Or you can push away from the pole and fall. I chose to push away from the pole and fall. And I came down on my butt and my elbow. And when I did, it compressed two of my uh, vertebrae, L4 and L5. So that every now and then, they reach out and touch the adjacent nerve. And when they do, I become like a pretzel for a few days. And that is my bad back. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, is
21: this still the free calling?
1: I beg your pardon?
21: Um, No, it's
1: not free calling anymore. Now it's 25 cents uh, per minute.
21: Okay, well, that's okay. I just have a question for you. Um, A couple months back, I was listening to your show, and you had gotten a fax from... Uh, the girlfriend of, a, of a, a guy named Billy Bob or something like that, who was flying over Area 51. Yeah. Oh, yes. And um, and I listened to it until the radio, until his radio had cut out, and then I never heard anything more about that. And there's I was,
1: nothing more to hear. I mean, it's not like you can pick up a telephone and call Area yeah. 51. You see.
21: Yeah. Because um, it was just the concern in your voice when you were trying to to get him to to not do what he was doing, and then when the radio cut out.
1: Well, I anticipated the fact that he would be shot down.
21: Yeah. And
1: uh, that's exactly what I believe occurred. He and got shot down.
21: After that, didn't his girlfriend uh, fax you saying that she was going to see... If that's right. ...find out what happened and that that's right. has, you haven't heard anything from her? Nary a word. Oh, boy.
1: Because
21: uh-huh. I was just wondering about that. That's...
1: So they probably got her, too, is the way I figured.
21: Oh. Okay. Well, thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, I think they got her. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning.
9: Yeah, hello, Art, this is Gary from St. Louis.
1: Hello, Gary.
9: Yeah, you were talking earlier about the electronic thing, the cops being able to look at you and see if you're carrying weapons. That's right. Well, geez, Art, they don't really need to do that. They can stop you for any imagined violation and search you in your car without a warrant right now. What do they need that for?
1: Well, I guess, um, I guess, I guess too many people are complaining about those kinds of searches, so this way they'll be able to just go zzz from their patrol car and they'll see that you have a gun, and then they will have sufficient cause to search. Now, what I'm saying is, this kind of technology, to me, represents a terrible, terrible um, uh, invasion of our privacy and a violation of our Fourth Amendment rights. What do you think?
9: I think it could very well get that far, but I think they're doing that already, aren't
8: <laughs> Well...
9: I mean, the forfeiture laws, drug forfeiture laws, they can take your, your belongings, your cash, they don't even have to charge you, they don't even have to... Uh convict you. Mm Mm-hmm. It's true. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Talking about Orwell, yeah. Yep. Good morning, Mr. Orwell, wherever you are. Thank you. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi there. Hi there.
22: It's Tootie in Northern California. Well, hi. How are you? I am well. Good. Me too. Uh, You were talking about chips in people to identify them? Yes. I heard a couple of years ago that that's being done already in Bulgaria to the babies that are born there. Really? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Bulgarian babies, of all things? Mm Mm-hmm. You would think, wouldn't you, that uh, that American babies would be the first, but maybe not.
22: Oh, oh, because we're the first in everything?
5: Mm, Mm. Well, because that kind of technology would be developed here.
22: Well, I don't know. but that Anyway, I heard that a couple of years ago, so it's here, it's with us, and, you know.
1: Well... Do you have any children? No. No? If you do have any children, uh, as you read today's headlines with children being kidnapped and killed, uh, would you be willing to have a a chip implanted in your child?
22: I'd prefer not.
1: Suppose they told you, but crime is rampant, children are being taken, children are being assaulted, and this chip would uh, allow us to save your child's life.
22: I doubt it. I don't think that they could make that kind of assertion, and they certainly couldn't guarantee that, and I don't think it's worth it. I, I think that the lack of privacy, well, we don't have any privacy anymore, but, but I, I mean, enough is enough, and I would prefer not to do that.
1: Okay. No chip for you, then.
22: Nope. No chip.
1: Okay, thank <laughs> you very much for the call. Take care.
9: No chip there.
1: East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Art. Steve from South Dakota. Hello, Steve.
9: Oh, I was just sitting here burning the midnight oil or the early morning oil, getting ready to send some stuff to Richard, and I hear he's going to be on tomorrow night. That's true. And uh, um, I just wanted to call and tell you how much I enjoyed your show with Stan Tannen. Oh, wasn't that good? That was a marvelous show. Yes. Uh, If you ever have him on again, uh, ask him about the uh, technology of the Great Pyramid of Giza.
1: Well. He has quite
13: a theory about some of the things that... uh,
1: All right, I will ask him, but... um... R- Richard will have comments about Egypt tomorrow.
9: Good. Okay. Have you used your? Uh, have have you been out using your scope lately?
1: Um, my scope. No telescope. Oh, telescope. I've yes. Gotta say telescopes. I'm sorry. Um, not not the last week or two. Um, I've also used my telescope for terrestrial stuff, and it's really
9: cool. Boy, the moon is really glorious right now. Is
1: it good time yep.
9: to look? Yeah, we com- time to look.
1: We're coming toward a full moon, aren't we?
9: Yeah, it's about three-quarter moon right now. Okay. Well, you're
1: right. Maybe it would be a good time when I get off uh, to go out there and take a look-see. Thanks. uh, Wild Card Line, you're on the air. Hi.
22: Hi. Hmm. Hello. Hello, Art. This is Kate from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hi, Kate. Hi. Uh, You discussed a little while ago uh, a certain subject I'd like to just give you a little thought upon. Maybe it might give you an idea or two. All right. Okay, it's about suicide? Yep. You remember? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have a book here that is called Song of the Phoenix from Santa Fe. The lady is called Lily Farrow Child. Yes. Okay. And it's called, you know, the, uh, prefix of the book is called Voices of Comfort and Healing from the Afterlife. Yes. Okay, now, you know, it's kind of hard to prove, uh, channeling, so I can't tell you this is the honest truth, correct?
1: Well, that's, uh, you know, people have different points of view about that.
22: Yes, I, we I, do.
1: You know how I feel about channeling. I'm suspicious.
22: Well, I am, too, because, you know, we can't we don't have proof. Exactly. Okay, but I thought I'd read you this, about three paragraphs here, and, and just turn you on a little bit about this uh, suicide thing, okay? okay. Are you open?
1: I'm listening. Don't read to me, though. Here it goes. No, don't,
22: no, no. No, I won't read to you. Okay. I'll give you in my own words right. through spacing. Okay, all right, go ahead. You know, go ahead. We can afford to read. Yeah.
7: Go
1: ahead.
22: Okay, now, what we all call suicide, right? Yes. Is a deliberate termination of your own life.
1: Sounds that way to me, yeah.
22: Uh-huh. Okay, now this, when you do that, disrupts a pattern that was set forth and agreed upon by you and your chosen destiny. Apparently, we all have a chosen destiny before we are born.
1: Well, that's one way of looking at it, but then one could argue that your chosen destiny is to commit suicide.
22: That could be the case, exactly. Now, it says here, you know, however, of course, agreed upon by you as your choice, not, you must examine, okay, not only your actions, you know, the action you cause on itself, but the intent behind the action to determine whether it is appropriate or inappropriate.
1: Well, I think that, uh, I I don't know exactly what that means, but I would say that um, one should examine the effect it will have on those left behind. Um, In other words, not consider just yourself, but your family, your children, your friends, all of those who will be affected by your actions. And if you don't consider all of that, then you are committing, indeed, a very selfish act, aren't you? East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
15: Yeah, hey, good morning. It's, what a treat it is to hear you at 6 o'clock in Philadelphia.
1: <laughs>
15: I'll tell you, it's incredible. Thanks for um, the extra hours in the East Coast. You bet. Yeah, I'm the one that sent you the email to start out our host, Artin Farump. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay, bye.
1: Okay, bye. Thank you. Uh, so they've got us to Philadelphia, in Philadelphia for the whole show now. Wow. Cool. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi.
5: Hey, good evening, Art.
1: Good evening, sir.
5: Um, I was just thinking, you know, I think it's a good idea to implant it in kids, but I'd like to just be sure that they uh, take it out at a certain point, you know.
1: Whoa. <laughs> Whoa That's like when they bring on a new tax You know
5: uh-huh. And they
1: say uh, the tax will be What's called a sunset tax What's that? Well that means uh, It's kind of like saying When the sun goes down Or when the need for the tax goes away They will no longer have the tax Right That's never true
5: <laughs> Yes Good luck trying So to when get they that. get
1: the chip in The odds of it being taken out
5: uh-huh.
1: Slim and none
5: now Let me ask you a question If uh, Chupacabra and Bigfoot Got into a fight Who would win?
1: Well, I think chupacabra, because chupacabra would reach in and pull Bigfoot's guts out. Now, it would be, arguably, a gigantic meal.
5: That's true. Perhaps
1: too much for a chupa, but, you know, I, I think the chupa would take it.
5: Bigfoot would have the reach, but chupacabra's got the heart, let's you, face it.
1: <laughs> and the liver. And the and spleen. The blood, and the lungs. And the, the eyeballs. There you go, sir. Thank you for such a gory call at the end of the day. On my international line, you're on the air. Hello.
16: Hello, Art. Yes. It's your birthday.
1: Well, you're right, it is.
16: And I haven't heard anyone uh, sing happy birthday or even say happy birthday to you.
1: Do not sing happy birthday to you.
16: <laughs> All right, we won't.
1: Um, actually, I'm going to deal with my birthday uh, tonight when I come on the air. Uh,
16: good, good. We missed you, your first hour today.
1: Uh-huh. Where are you?
21: Up in Vancouver.
1: Vancouver. Well, we now start the show one hour earlier. So the best thing to do is to call your local radio station and ask them to begin carrying the first hour.
16: I did that once, but I think I'll do it again because I sure miss having the beginning of the show. Okay. All right, so happy birthday to you, Art. We love you.
1: Well, thank you. And my guess would be, by the way, now that I think about it, you will probably get the first hour as the next hour, maybe. I don't know. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Uh,
5: Hello, Mr. Bell. My uh, great-great-grandfather had slaves in uh, Texas.
1: And... All right. Do you... Uh, Hold on a sec. Let me we do this here. Do you, uh, do you want to apologize for that now?
5: No, I don't. <laughs> Why not? Uh, I'm, I uh, didn't do it.
1: You don't feel guilty?
5: I don't feel guilty and blacks. if You, you don't think
1: back. you have genetic guilt?
5: I don't have genetic guilt. As a matter of fact, uh, if you'll go back and look at Africa and the history and you'll find a uh, look at the history of Egypt and Northern Africa, you'll find out. That uh, blacks and Africans had uh, blacks as slaves there. You know, I'm now, glad
1: I'm glad that you mentioned uh, I'm scope. glad that you mentioned Egypt. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Egypt because the traditional explanation of how the pyramids got built. Yes.
5: Sir.
1: Now, shouldn't somebody be apologized to there? That's right. Remember all those people that had to tote those big rocks? Mm-hmm. I, I saw in the right. movies.
5: Another thing tonight, uh, President Clinton was very interesting. Was Clinton came on and also mentioned that they were
1: uh, even crushing people between the rocks. I mean, think of the apology those people ought to get.
5: That's right. There's so many apologies due for a lot of things. And I'm not condoning what my great 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 grandfather did. But on the other hand, uh, I just want to say this again, please, is that uh, Clinton came on tonight. He indicated within 30 to 50 years oh. that the white people in the country will be outnumbered. And he's like shoving this down our throats and saying this is something we're going to have to accept and we're going to have to have good race relations, whether we like it or not. And um, I'm just going to say this, and I've I've said it before, and you've probably heard me when I've said it uh, (laughs) previously. Name on your left hand five things that a black person has invented, manufactured, brought to market.
1: Oh, well, you sound. Uh, See, you sound like a racist.
5: I no, I'm just being pr. No, sir, I'm not a racist. You sound. I said
1: you sound like a racist.
5: No. But as a matter of fact, uh, no.
1: Actually, President Clinton is right about that. We are going to all have to ultimately get along.
5: No, we don't. That's, yes, that's the we problem. do. The Germans don't. The British, the French don't. You see, they what have race problems. Oh, they have big race problems in Germany. They're having big race well, problems there's also race problems
0: Britain. all over the They're, world.
5: That's right. And, and
1: ultimately, we're all going to have to uh, get along.
5: Ultimately, and and when we
1: finally get our consciousnesses uh, raised mm-hmm. enough, right. Um, Maybe
8: we will.
5: Well, sir, let me just say this one thing. You know, I like your show and I listen to it a lot. You know, and you're married to a Puerto Rican Filipina and I've seen her. She's a nice-looking lady. And, you know, you believe in everybody's going to go gray. And, and I don't. Uh, well, right now. You in any way right now. I the, don't agree with you. Oh, fine.
1: Long. That's fine. The president right now said that uh, right. uh, in the last decade, uh, interracial marriage has increased by 20%. So now, let's just
5: that's
1: the going, country. Now, that is going to have an inevitable result.
5: The inevitable result, it will pull the whites down because, you see, look around you. Everything, the ham radio that you love so well, and your computer, and your carpet, and your desk, those were invented by white people, mainly white men.
1: Oh, you're just an ignorant person. I'm sorry that you like my show, and I can't imagine why you do. That's very sad. You, sir, are an ignorant person. Have a good morning. Have a nice day. Uh, Anyway, we'll be back tomorrow at 10 o'clock Pacific, 1 a.m. East Coast time. I'm Art Bell from the high desert. Good night.